Hello and welcome for the final time to the Frelcast. I'm Erin. I'm Monica. And we are the Farscape Friends this week, closing out for good, calling in our bar tab as we discuss Peacekeeper Wars Part 2, the finale to the Farscape series. If they ever make more Farscape, I guess we'll keep talking about it. That's absolutely 100% a guaranteed fact. (laughs) Absolutely we will. And we just passed our two-year anniversary and totally missed it. So happy birthday to the Frelcast. And also, it's dead now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I didn't mean it like that. (laughs) That's okay. Um, I don't know why I chose that intro. I just really liked the delivery of the, the random Luxon pilot yelling. I think given the amount that we have to talk about, it's probably not a bad way to yeah. set the tone for the episode. Yeah, we definitely have to hang the frell on for this one. Uh-huh. For sure. So we don't have a promo. No, we don't have a promo. Uh, I don't have any other beginning notes, so I guess if you want to just jump into telling us the rest about the plot. Okay. Um... So I was inspired by last week, you kind of breaking it up into four parts. And so that's sort of... Don't chop my flavor. I'll try not to. Uh, Anyway, the so the squad, when last we spoke, the squad was about to be gassed to death by the Scarens for the second time uh, in John's life. And he was mad about it. Um, But John, when when we resume, John has this brainwave and he's like, gas is flammable, so cozy blow us up. They they create a diversion, basically, and escape. They hear from Dargo and the Luxons, and the Luxons come bust everybody out of the Scarin ship. Um, the Luxons and, and the Moya crew um, rendezvous with Moya, and they ferry Stark um, back to the secret Eidolon planet on the, the, second, the second Eidolon homeworld. Mm-hmm. A bunch of stuff happens on the ship while that's going on shenanigans happen basically oh john john i was gonna say there's something that happened that i don't know really falls into the category of shenanigans i found it i found it i found it so john (laughs) john gets real fed up with everything and goes down the wormhole and is like einstein teach me to make weapons i think i think uh again not to not to uh jump on you here but it might be relevant to say that aaron is now pregnant at this part just right 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 right. they do the transfer um during the escape from the Scarin ship, they do the fetal transfer. Aaron is now pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and again. John, in part motivated by that, and uh, also being real fed up, goes flies down, down the word hole, yells at Einstein, is like, give me my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, he comes back. John and Aaron have a big fight. John has some schematics that come out of his brain um, to build a wormhole weapon. He's like, pilot, please do the thing. Pilot's like, hard pass. John's like, really please? Pilot's like, still no. Then they are attacked by Scarens. Um, and Moya is like, fuck all of this shit. That's like, as they get to the water planet, the Scarens start attacking them. And Moya's like, fuck all this shit. I'm going to hide in the bottom of the ocean. So she does that. And then Stark is like, fuck all of this shit. I'm going to hide from everyone on the ship. So then they have to find him. Um, but they eventually do find him. They go to the surface. And then it becomes like this action movie of like, we have to get Stark to the Eidolons to that he can teach them how to do peace with um, Hierarch Yondalau's knowledge in his head. Um, 
So they action movie their way over to the second idol on Temple where Bracca is holed up. Um, and they basically, like, endure a siege. Um, and there's also all of this, like, because at this point the Scarens have sort of realized that the second Eidolon homeworld is full of Eidolons and are like, okay, we have to go do a genocide there. The Luxons are, like, also there. Um, and they help to rescue, with Naranti, they rescue some of the last Eidolons. And so, like, Jothi has some Eidolons, but he can't rescue them. So Moya rescues everybody in the big the the docking web um after the siege but during the siege aaron gives birth in the worst one of the worst television birth scenes i've ever seen um in the middle of this fountain uh they have to then like kind of fight their way out um on their way to get to moya and the docking web dargo dies it's really sad um they get back to moya there's a space battle happening so Stark, during the siege, Stark transfers Yondalao's knowledge to the nurse lady, who's not a nurse anymore, she's an Eidolon now. And so they have to, like, reunite her with all the Eidolons, but they're on opposite sides of the space battlefield. Um, luckily, John comes back and Pilot has built the wormhole weapon, which just looks like a new console in command um, that has also, like, a head cage that comes down that's really interesting. Um, and John is like, okay, I'm going to do the wormhole weapon now. This is a bad idea. Uh, and he shoots into space a wormhole something that is going to keep doubling in size and eat them all. Uh, and then with like two minutes until they're all burned up, um, Graza and Stalik agree to peace. Um, and like a peace that's negotiated with the Eidolons. And then you have some kind of montage stuff that happens. So then John is able to like, somehow undo the wormhole weapon um and at the end einstein comes in and takes the wormhole knowledge out of his brain and then you have some montage stuff where they get all of the you see that like the accord is held um you have some like john is like dramatic and sad after everything is over um but then he perks back up now that he has a child and the uh the the show ends with john and aaron sort of doing this naming ceremony um, for their baby, um, Lion King style in, <laughs> in like Moya. And like, that's, you know, the whole crew kind of splits up at the end and that's, that's it. That's the end. Yeah. Uh, and they name, and they name the baby Dargo after Dargo. Lil D. Lil D. Mm-hmm. Oh, just a few things to talk about just here. Just a few things to talk about here. Just a few things to both talk about the Peacekeeper Wars Part 2, and then also, like, you know, probably some kind of summary of our general feelings about this show. Yeah, let's uh, do it. You know, what we learned. <laughs> so, yeah, let's let's do it. Let's move. Um, I think even though it's not relevant right at the beginning of this, I feel like... I have to bring it up because I wrote a note literally as I was editing the previous episode and I've been keeping it tucked in my microphone until now. Oh no. Um, which is that we have done a criminal crime in that when we discussed everyone's new looks in the previous episode, uh, we forgot to talk about Captain Bracca's soul patch. And I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's there, and we'll be seeing it again today. 
It's not that I forgot that it was there. It just, it, 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 you know, it nestled so well into his little chin divot that I just, I just, I looked over it. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to David Franklin and the whole cast and crew and all our listeners that I didn't bring it up sooner. You know, I don't think I even noticed it. I think I was like, something is different about his look. It must be like a haircut. He looks like leaner and edgier. (laughs) And with more facial hair. And with more facial hair. Anyway, let's get started. Let's do it. And we do start, as as we mentioned, where we picked up. We pick up where we left off uh, on the Scarin ship, still in some gas trouble, uh, which Sokozu ignites. The doors blow out. The Luxons take advantage of the confusion to blow out the Scarin power sources that Chiana had helpfully identified. Uh, the Luxons do a good, good rescue. And in the middle of this rescue, this baby gets transferred uh, just right in inside of a firefight. The Moyans escape successfully, leaving Stalik's ship disabled. But things are a little bit awkward on the Luxon ship as they fly away, because one of the sons slept with the father's girlfriend, if you remember. And they <laughs> decide to make it like a weird tense moment between them, but okay. This is a relatively short sequence, but uh, I have a few notes about it. I think I think sticking with that pattern of kind of, it's a little bit less well divided this week, but I think we can kind of stick to it as far yeah. as locations and kind of general segments of, of mm-hmm. the show. The first note I have is I weirdly love the visual of John flipping Sakozu up onto the wall. Uh-huh. It's really well done. It's like a good visual trick. You can't really like see the seams of it 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 really looks like he's flipping her up onto a wall to be upside down yeah and i like it i like it and i like that it's they've sort of set up this situation where like everybody on the team gets a chance to use their special trick (laughs) so you've got like chiana using her new special eyes to be like the bad guys are coming and this is the kind of guns they've got later Mm -hmm. in the episode but now you've got sakozi doing her special stuff it's just it's good um, speaking of her fireballs, is, is Sokozu an anime now? Sokozu is an anime in this, uh, this as, is, she as has... two people who definitely know anime, we have decided Sokozu yes. is one. Yes, confirmed. She has, her hair is an anime and her flipping on the ceiling is an anime and her eye, her eyebrows, her new eyebrows are it's very anime. All anime. All anime all the time. Great. Um, I also, in the fireball sequence, really appreciate Aaron just kind of last minute interjecting. So essentially you're going to blow us up? And John being like, oh shit, I forgot. We're here too. And fire is bad for human life and also all the other forms of life that are with me right now. I like that. I also really like how on the Luxon ship, when we cut over there, there's like a tech being like explosion amidship. And Dargo's like, Crichton. Uh, do you know who else loved that? You? I mean, yes, it was good. But also every single person in the forums making comments was like, ah, yes, of course, Dargo knows it's John. Hilarious. I applaud. So you're, you're not alone in your appreciation of that. I thought it was very all. sweet. It is good. It is a good moment. Um, 
Other things I enjoy are John carrying Rigel in his throne sled because it looks exactly like a baby carrier, like the car seat that just John just like took out. Uh huh. <laughs> they kind of like incapacitate Rigel a few times in the second half of this, and I'm not sure what that's about, but that's one of them where they're just like, oh, just carry his throne sled around. He doesn't have to make an appearance. You're just moving him. Yeah. <laughs> I have to wonder how much of that is about how challenging it is to manage that puppet in like an action sequence. Probably pretty challenging. I think it's, it's, it, there's a cool bit where we are reminded that the Luxons are part of a peacekeeper unit, mm-hmm. which is good continuity from all that treaty business Graza had with the Luxons from way long ago. I, my my memory for the political asides and maneuvering is not the best, but I, I can't remember how often that's been mentioned, but it is a nice sort of bit of continuity. The, the Luxons are not just the Luxons. They're the Luxons working with the peacekeepers. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes it sort of weird that for most of the second half of this miniseries, John and everyone are basically working with peacekeepers, despite the fact that they hate peacekeepers. <laughs> Um, but that's just kind of who they're holed up with. Yeah. It, it is a weird sort of, like, statement about the show that, like, we 100% believe that the Moyans don't like peacekeepers and are, and John especially is, like, not going to give them the wormhole knowledge, but they are who they fight with. And, yeah. and fight alongside more. And, like, Bracca and the other peacekeeper, like, the Luxon peacekeeper, you know, attaches, like, have no problem helping them. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just interesting. I think there's a real the enemy of my enemy is my friend thing that starts right. to happen. Um, and I mean, they've always like found ways to work with peacekeepers, even if they didn't like them. So it's not surprising. Yeah. It's just an interesting thing of like, those don't seem like dissonant realities that like. Yeah. Yeah. We have to talk about the baby transfer. Um, can I just read the um, note that I have about it? <laughs> Please. Uh, all caps, for the record. I absolutely hate the baby transfer business, and I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but we can talk about it. I'll just use this voice the whole time. Okay. So my comments are, nothing about this operation is sterile. Nothing about this operation accurately reflects the delicacy of what they're trying to do. Stark is grimacing, and it is made less funny by my ability to tell that it's supposed to be funny. That, like, there are all of these, like, Paul Goddard comic relief shots as it's happening, and I'm just like, that's stupid. And then Aaron tells John, well done, and she is lying. Uh, it's just nothing, nothing about that was good. That, that would not have worked. I'm never not haunted by the idea of where John might have stuck the probe in Rigel or whatever it was. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. No, none of it was. And I Rigel mean, just doesn't like, have a birth canal from what I know. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. I don't know. We're going to, we're going to moonwalk away from this conversation. Uh, yeah. uh, real, real quick, real smooth. Just do a big old Nick Miller right out the way. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so good. Uh, but the I Lexan don't, I don't, up. I don't like it. The Lux- the Luxons are there. They they do a help. Um I want to like so bad that Aaron kisses Dargo hello. Uh-huh. But I don't think I do like it. I it do feels- like the way she leaps through the floor. That's good. 
I also love Dargo just, like, being totally stymied by that one metal grate for, like, no reason. <laughs> and then Scorpius has to throw his, like, head juice into it, yes. and that explodes, and it's like, oh, cool, good, glad that's near your brain, buddy. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Um, also, did you notice that Aaron says, I'm pregnant, in this really, like, weird way, like, with twice in about 30 seconds? She's very excited about it. Yeah. I, it's weird and bad. A fun fact about this uh, bit of business is that in the miniseries, Aaron is pregnant for about half an hour and then in labor for 20 minutes. That's a thousand percent what happens. And that's yeah. how it goes. <laughs> so just like, for the record. Yeah, that's good. I think my only other notes on this little bit of business is... um. It is, to me, a wild joke that all these people, quote-unquote, recognize Joffy, because everything about the makeup and prosthetics are different, and also it's a different actor playing him. <laughs> I I had that note. I was like, is that even the same actor? No, like, it's No, it's like, it's like a Darlene situation. Yeah, it is not Matt Newton. Um, and I think once upon a time when Joffy left the show, I was like, we never saw him again. And it may be because I forgot he was in the Peacekeeper Wars because other than being technically Joffy, nothing about him is like Joffy. Right. It's like a random Luxon holding a sign that says Joffy. This is Joffy. Don't distrust me. name tag. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, my God, it's Joffy. And it's like, how can you tell? <laughs> um, he does have a very similar vocal kind of performance though so yeah maybe that's it i also really really enjoy all the luxon tentacles just whipping around in these scenes i think it's great that they made a lot of luxons and like brought a lot of luxons to the party for the miniseries i like and that. it just it contributes to a lot of good like head whipping around corners especially when they're trying to check tactics and and angles and approaching yeah. squads and they're just like woof woof and it's just like flump flump everywhere or when they run down the cliff. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, as we said, it was... I don't know why Aaron was like, was this a planned reunion when they get in the ship? But whatever. Hilarious silence. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird moment. Then we cut to, like, ten seconds of unhappy scarins for no reason. Weren't they trying to, like, fire on them or whatever? And they couldn't? I, I think so, but it was like, were there even, was there even any dialogue there, or was it just them literally looking angry for 10 seconds? I, I don't remember. Yeah. Cool. So after the successful escape, we are back on Moya. Huh? And the first thing happening on Moya is Sokozu is fixing up Scorpius's head, and they have a little argument about John. The Luxons leave to go back to the Eidolon water planet, which I think is called Kajargan. They say something about, like, we'll see you at Kajargan, and I can only imagine that is the Lux that is the Eidolon Water Planet, but we oh. never hear that name enough to, like, make that association. No. So I will probably it, continue to refer to it as Eidolon Water Planet. Well, I think that's how they refer to it, like, through the whole first half of the episode. Mm, yeah. They kept saying, like, go back to the Water Planet. Yeah. Um, so Jaffy stays behind to act as a guide and get them through Peacekeeper Space. And he and Dargo very abbreviatedly deal with the Chiana fallout and some trust issues. Stark is fully broken, as we saw when they were doing the escape, and even more so now. Aaron is immediately hugely pregnant. And John, upon sort of 
being near her and seeing Stark flip out, just leaves down a wormhole to go visit Daddy again. Like two hours after he did the first time, presumably. Uh-huh. And gets his wormhole brained open up. When he comes back, Scorpius is thirsty as fuck about that fact. Um, same with Harvey, but in a different way. Aaron and Pilot are the two people he kind of talks to about this and are both pretty not about it. But before that is resolved, Moya jumps into the middle of a firefight at the Eidolon planet. And then, as you mentioned, Swan dives into the ocean. So a pretty dense little segment. Lots, lots happening. Yeah. Lots of discussions, lots of developments. Again, going through my notes. Um... I wanted to talk briefly about this weird sex poodle attitude that Sokozu has kind of adopted for the miniseries. She almost seems like she's presenting to Scorpius at the end of this little scene between them. And he's like pulling down the her armlets on her... It's uh-huh. very like... It's not wildly different from how she would occasionally act in season four, but it feels like an overall larger portion of what we're seeing from her in a way that is is sort of different. I I don't know. I think it's one of the unfortunate and unflattering things about this being a mini series rather than a full season is that people, characters are getting collapsed. And I think that Sokozu probably gets the worst of it in terms of going from a character who had some, and I mean, throughout this episode too, it's like there, there is this continuous making of choices that I feel like they really kind of ruin her in this. Yeah, I I definitely, after having... I remembered that she was the spy when I started to rewatch this, but watching how she kind of gets handled and what she's given to do and that turn at the end made me really feel like they threw that character under the bus, which is a shame because she was a good character before they did that. Yeah. Like, the second they really committed to pairing her off with Scorpius, she just lost so many of her nuances and and interesting shapes and stuff. Like, when she was kind of interested in him, but also interested in herself, and, like, Mm -hmm. she was so funny and good and, like, you know, had a lot of potential, and I just just really felt like, yeah, they threw her under the bus. I also really feel like with the... The sort of subsequent reveals of, like, she's she's a robot, now she's a spy, is she still a robot? Yeah, that's something I think we'll maybe talk about when we get to that spy reveal stuff. Okay. But it is definitely on my mind as well. Like, what? What? <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? So the big thing that happens in this segment as far as the plot is concerned, though, is that John goes down this wormhole and tells Einstein to unlock the knowledge, and Einstein does, and that's basically the extent of it. Uh-huh. I was having a... It was interesting to watch this because while I remembered how it ends, I didn't remember a lot of the, like, tonal nuances and John's sort of developing attitude toward this. And it is... It was something that was annoying me early on as I was watching this part of, like... This weird sort of John being like, I gotta do just one last job before I settle down with my my baby and my lady stuff. I didn't really like that tone, but I think it gets complicated enough later that I'm, I'm okay with it now. Yeah. But 
it, it does reek of it. And there's there's like Castle Doctrine John just kind of swaggering around in in this. I think um perhaps playing the clip uh we have of the fight he and Aaron have when she when he comes back is is a good way to talk about that. John You went there, didn't you? I uh I went the whole way there. I didn't want you to do that. Yes, you did. Everybody wants to see the great big wormhole weapon. No, I want to see war turned into peace. War and peace. War and peace. Did you know that Woody Allen's version is better than Tolstoy's? Because it is funnier and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Where the hell's my pen? Where's my pen? This is what you want. This is what you want. No, Aaron, it is not what I want. It's just that fate keeps blocking all the exits. And no matter what I do, I just keep circling closer to the flame. Then pull back. This war is not your responsibility. You and the baby are my responsibility. And how am I supposed to protect you from the peacekeepers and the scarens and the Tragans and the lions and tigers and bears? With this, Winona, this gun, no gun is big enough. We still have Stark and the Eidolons. It's not enough. This... This is enough. Wormholes. What's inside my hand? This is ugly. And it is malignant. But it will protect you and the baby. You see, you don't just protect me. We protect each other. So, that's a pretty interesting fight, I think, to talk about. Yeah. I think it, it, it steps pretty solidly in the whole using women children characters as motivation for men characters trope stuff. Um but again, this is not the line that the show toes for the whole of it. Mm-hmm. There are ways I wish it complicated this a little bit more. Or made John a little more reflective on why he felt this way. Like, this stuff about, like, no gun is big enough to protect my family. And, like, the fact that it's very clear that he knows exactly what this weapon will do. Mm -hmm. And we don't, the audience know yet. We will see. Boy, will we see. But that he's in this place where he knows and he's still saying it's a worthy trade-off. You know, this is this is the thing that's big enough to protect you. And I wish the discussion was a little bit longer, I guess. I wish it was longer. And I also, I don't think I totally understand where they're starting from. I don't think that Aaron's um, sort of like anger and outright sort of like, why would you do this is like really firmly laid out enough. I know that they had a lot of conflict around wormholes. In the past, Mm -hmm. but given that they seem to be this, like, new and improved, extremely partnered John and Aaron, I wish they had given a little bit more time and space to why Aaron feels this way instead of just having her being, like, the angry woman yelling accusations about John doing what he wants. Sure. I I mean, I I see a bit of that, but I think... and I, I, I'm not going to say that I don't think there could be more room dedicated to that reasoning, but I think we, as people who've been watching these characters really closely and anybody else who's really familiar with how the series goes, knows 
Aaron would have concerns about John and wormholes in general because she knows what mm-hmm. that does to him. And like, I don't want you to do this is like, you're going to hurt yourself doing it more than like, I have a moral objection. <laughs> um, and I think there's also, you know, she's concerned for his safety. It seems very likely that she felt like the one thing that was protecting him was that he couldn't do this. Yeah. And now that he can, yeah. he's not only in danger because he's a wormhole crazy, but he's in danger because everyone wants to chase him even more now. Yeah. I, I feel that end of her motivation, but I do agree that it could have been drawn out in their conversation a little bit better. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really feel like John has any interest in trying to understand her. The way yeah. the conversation is written. He is just like drunk on wormholes. Yeah. When he gets back. I mean, I'm sure it's a lot to process and deal with. Sure, sure, sure. Oh, um, her pregnancy bodysuit is something, though. That was my <laughs> other Aaron he... note for the for the moment. <laughs> yeah, that's a situation. Oh, the other note I had about um, this conversation is it is the last conversation that we hear before the end of the first part. Remember how there are those flash forwards? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And interestingly, they're actually um, mirrored. So the last one you hear is the first one, and then the middle one, and then the first one you hear is one of the last conversations in the whole miniseries. Like, it opens with Aaron being like, I can't do this without you and the baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's sort of an interesting kind of folded technique. But this is this is one of, you hear at least part of this. Yeah. Just, just a few minutes before, really, if you're watching the whole thing through. Mm-hmm. I think we can also talk about John and Pilot have... A not dissimilar chat. And I think that's worth comparing to the one that um, he and Aaron have. I can't do this without your help, pilot. Yours and Moya's. This will be used as a weapon against others. Worst case scenario, yeah. If I understand correctly, it has the power to kill tens of thousands. For starters. Are you? capable of using this yes then I don't know you as I thought so you'll be starting with me then someone puts a gun at your head pilot what do you do what do you do you defend yourself and that it's why we have to build this. No one has a weapon pointed to your head. Oh, God, pilot, everybody's got a weapon pointed in my head. There are other options. Well, why don't you explain that to the tens of millions of people who will die in the meantime? Is that truly your concern? Or is it Aaron and your unbirthed offspring you wish to protect? That's my family, pilot. Everything begins with I really am annoyed that he only refers to Aaron and the kid as his family. It's like, they're all your family. Pilot's your family. Dark is your family. Chana's your family. Shut up. Yes. And, like, for a show that has always had this much emphasis on found family and the forming Mm -hmm. of found families, to have it now at the very end be so, like, blood and babies focused and, like, normative family structures is just, like, it's just, like, weird. I'm just yeah. like, what, like, what show are you on? <laughs> it does seem like he really takes that ball and runs with it the second there's an opportunity. Which, 
is is in some ways not surprising for John as a character, but in other ways is sort of disappointing for like, well, like it's it's bigger than them. Okay, let's let's calm down. Uh huh. I do really like that. Pilot calls like sees through it immediately, and it's yeah. just like that is not your concern, my dude. Yeah. Um, it is funny because as much as I am willing to criticize the show for for kind of pushing John into this like. My woman and my baby is my motivation for acting like a weird, you know, they're threatening Mm -hmm. them and I'll blow everything up. I am much more sympathetic because we've had such an intimate experience with it for such a long time of this thing John has about, like, everybody has a gun to my head. Like, that's an experience that I understand and I get why it's complicated and difficult for him to make decisions in the environment he lives in and how not a lot of other people can really understand that position. That's a place I'm I'm a lot happier to live in a gray area where I can feel like he might be defensive or aggressive or anxious and make bad decisions or like different decisions than I would make not being in his shoes. Yeah, that part I get a little bit. But when it turns to like... They keep trying to morph it into Aaron and the baby stuff. And I'm just like, I, that's so boring and so done. And I don't care. <laughs> I really feel like 1812 is John's first baby. And I'm very excited <laughs> to see him helping out during this conversation. Oh, there's something also that's interesting about this conversation. If you consider kind of Pilot and Moya's history of what they are and are not willing to help John with, right? Yeah. Because if you remember in the season finale, in Bad Timing, they helped him do a thing that was really dangerous and difficult, but it was not an an aggressive, like, they only murdered a few people, you know what I mean? Like, and it was a, it was, it was sort of, that was a pilot, that was a trade-off pilot was willing to make. And if you think about the way they helped in Into the Lion's Den, yeah. um, or, you know, previous times where John has sort of called on their largesse and their generosity and like what they've been willing to do and what they haven't. And I don't think pilots unreasonable to be like, you're asking me to build you something that would, and use Moya essentially with the way right. we eventually see it is that it seems to use Moya's starburst and entire hull to do this. And it's like, mm-hmm turning Moya into this weapon of absolute mass destruction. Like, I don't think we should underestimate how big a fucking deal that is. Yeah. So. (laughs) And it's sort of this weird thing of, like, well, then does Pilot know how to build it still? And, like, even if he he did build it, would anyone else know how to use it? Which we don't have to get into right now, but... But he does sort of make Pilot complicit in this, and and I think it is a, a big decision for Pilot, and one that I absolutely understand him not being interested in and sort of giving yeah. John this immediate no. Um, there's another bit in here where Chiana is, I just want to give her the props as ever for taking care of the weirdo rejects with Rigel crying about losing the baby and Stark oh just God. kind of comatose almost. Yeah. What do you think about Rigel and like his postpartum depression? I, I, um, I'm pretty annoyed anytime something like that is trivialized for laugh. Really? I wouldn't have guessed. <laughs> so but the whole the whole thing, I just I was kind of like, okay, like this is you know, it's it's hard to be mad about my last moments with these characters. Mm. But also I did not feel like anybody was particular. You know, like Chiana was good in this scene and like Jothy's kind of like all of this is new was like mildly humorous but i was just like you could be using your time better Mm. 
Oh, I have another question about this, which is part of me is convinced that the Scorpius John encounters upon arrival back at Moya is a hallucination where he's like, I can smell it. You have it in your brain, don't you? And it's all shot really weird. And I don't know. There's yeah. part of me that's like, is that real? And I like that I can't tell is mostly my note. I also <laughs> notice that can't tell. And like, you know, like I endorse, I endorse both your perception and your reaction. Thanks. Appreciate it. Way to look out for me on our podcast. Yeah. Um. All right. Any other notes about, about that business before we move along? Oh, during the fight. Um. At one point, the baby kicks, and Aaron's like, feel the baby kicking, and no, that hasn't happened yet. Mm. No, you're right. I'm sorry. That is how the fight ends. Um, that they kind of, like, stop fighting because they're focused on, like, the baby, which is just, like, a weird conversation. Yeah. Yeah. But I was just like, oh, Creighton kicks. Yeah. (laughs) I bet you did think that. (laughs) I did think that. I was like, oh, this is, like, an interesting callback to an episode that I didn't particularly enjoy and a concept I don't particularly enjoy, but I enjoy that it's continuity happening, kind of. Mm. Callback-y thing. At this point in the the show, we have um, some check-ins with the Peacekeepers and the Scarens. Do you want to talk about sort of their lines? And this is sort of... Yeah, I guess so, because this is what they're doing before everybody kind of gets crammed in on the Eidolon planet. Yeah. So, um, meanwhile, back on the ranch, uh, the peacekeepers uh, are dealing with some stuff. Bracket is on Kajargan, the planet Kajargan, which I kind of like saying, so I might say it sometimes. Um, and he is leading a group of people fighting with the Scarens and sort of doing reports back to Greza. Because I guess everyone has just, like, accepted that Greza's in charge again, which is kind of wild considering that Bracca led a mutiny against her, like, two months ago. <laughs> Yeah, but now they're back on the same page. But okay. Uh, And, uh, yeah, the battle is not going great. He says the carrier (laughs) is basically lost. Um, Greza is apparently not suspected of boyfriend murder. Or if she is, no one is going to stop her, which is equally likely, I'd Mm -hmm. I'd say. Um, So she orders her ship to go to meet Bracca at Kajargan and then pulls big rank on some nameless subordinate. Um, before arriving at the planet and and doing a surprise attack. A funny thing I learned from, I think, a forum post, and I don't have, like, a source on this, but I absolutely believe it to be true, is that apparently the Graza character generally, for, like, the whole series, they were trying to channel a little bit of the old Dame Judy Dench for that <gasps> one, and it makes a lot of sense to me. I see it. Yeah. In in her bearing yeah. and the haircut. Yeah. And the, like, I'm going to speak a line as though from a great height, even <laughs> though I am a regular human size. <laughs> That's a pretty good description of it. <laughs> a little, little of that dench flavor in there. I, 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 I don't know if I ever knew that, but I can definitely see it now. So then the Scarens, meantime mean, mean while, also... Uh, are engaged in more of the spy stuff and uh, are now actively genociding the water planet Eidolons. Uh-huh. Um, they arrive at that planet and enter the fray uh, to take out the main command carrier. Stalik wants the Eidolon city blasted, but they can't because their weapons are still down from the Luxon attack, which is uh-huh. weird because it's like, aren't there other Scarin ships there? <laughs> like, they have weapons, presumably. 
Um, maybe Stalik wants to be the one to do it, but it's it's still really weird. Um, anyway, when they arrive, he does renew his genocide calls and then kind of takes this line about, like, I'm going to be busy in the future. Maybe you should be the empress. And yeah, then Akna goes down to get John's head on a platter, Salome style. So uh-huh. that's kind of what's happening there. What do you what do you think about Stalik being like, I have bigger things on my plate than being the emperor of Skarens. Maybe you should do it. Well, remember when we were talking about when he was first introduced and we were like, what does emperor even <laughs> yeah, mean? Exactly. Is he really is he really is this is he really in charge of all all of them or is it like emperor of like a smaller domain um and so i was just kind of like i don't i don't know in my notes i have stalik plans that he will ascend in rank and then like one question mark and akna will take his job three question marks and like yeah yeah i feel one question mark and three question marks about it you know like okay okay, sure if 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 he's anticipating they win and then they acquire all the peacekeeper territory. There will need exactly. to be a new level of power that he'll ascend to. And she can be in charge of everything he used to be in charge of. But it's still a very weird tone that he takes. And he's still, like, caressing her in this way that's like, I don't it, know yeah. what's going on. And he just keeps being like, you look good in my chair, kid. Keep it up. Even though it's, again, so cl- we've already well established that they hate each other. It's very strange. It's very strange. And I feel like a lot of the nuance in all of this, and I think Akna's, like, both of those characters get flattened. And they weren't, Akna was a little bit more developed than than Stalik in the fourth season, but, like, they both kind of get steamrolled into just little thin sheets in here, so. Yeah. What you gonna do? Oh, title inflation. I think the the scare in army suffers from title inflation. (laughs) Yeah, uh turns out the peacekeeper intelligence got it wrong and he's just emperor is basically like he has one ship and they yeah. just they just were like, "Oh, who's the emperor?" It is like, "Oh, it's this guy because he was like the nearest by, but really there's like a much higher up emperor uh-huh. somewhere." <laughs> I would believe that because I've never met an emperor who micromanages more. He's so micromanaging, but I will say that, like, I've grown fond of Stalik he's, in the time that we've yeah. gotten to know him. He's a weirdo. A genocidal weirdo, but, you know. Yeah. Oh, well. He just wants people to think he's smart. And he's not. He's not at all. He's a very bad, bad, dumb boy. Um. Oh, that's another thing that sort of doesn't get followed through here is, like, they destroy all those flowers. Right. What happened like, to the flowers? And, and, and Scorpius's whole thing is like, I would trade wormholes for this to be done because it'll cripple the Scarens forever. And it's just like never brought up again. Where are the flowers? Yeah. Cause that was why they went, that was part of why they right. wanted to go to Earth was to get the flowers. And like, they didn't go to Earth. They don't have the flowers at home. I, I, I w- it would almost make more sense if they were fighting because they need flowers than. But that that plot yeah. just absolutely does not come up for the entirety of the Peacekeeper Wars. But, oh well. So, the vast majority of the rest of the um, miniseries takes place on the Eidolon planet in a few different phases. But we are going to be there for a while. Um, I think we can for- call the first phase Under the Sea. Under the do, Sea. Do. Yeah. Um, because, as we mentioned, Moya does do a swine-off. Swine-off? Swine-dive. <laughs> so Moya is taking on water, because science. 
Uh, no one is sure why she did this in the first place. Stark's got to get to the Eidolons, though, but is playing hide-and-seek uh, while they make a transport pod watertight. And my note there is parentheses nodding. Yes. Watertight transport water pod. Tight. Great. Uh, Stark is found in some bad deep water. Um, and he and Dargo get knocked out, but are both okay. Dargo's not dead yet. Um, but we find out that Stark's light is different, and then they go to the surface. So this is a pretty, um, short segment, but is a huge one for filming, because they flooded all these, uh, all these sets. Oh, for yeah. real. Oh, yeah. Um, you remember we saw it on the, uh, the behind the scenes thing, and everybody, everybody's talking about how difficult it was to, you know... Just have all these people and equipment and cameras like in the water for a yeah. few days. So I do remember that actually. for such a short segment, they did a lot of work to put water everywhere. Yeah, and it's like not a lot happens. Mm. It's just a lot. It like feels a little bit like they're like, oh, we have to go to three hours. <laughs> How do we kill fifteen minutes <laughs> by just being like Stark? Stark, but it also does become this really interesting, like, micro-encapsulation. Um, and at one point, John does, like, a very interesting speech to Stark, being, like, where he's, like, looking for him, and he's calling out, and he's like, oops, I just put you in the exact position that I was put in with the wormholes, but I'm gonna fix it, I swear to God. Yeah, he has this whole thing about, like, I know what it's like to have something in your head that people want and shouldn't have been there in the first place. And which is interesting because he's both sort of doing this empathy thing with Stark and also acknowledging his role in it being a problem. Mm -hmm. Like, not in the most obvious way, but in in this sort of like, yeah, we kind of strong armed into that one, but sorry. (laughs) Just I would have liked it to be more than a little moment. I feel Mm -hmm. like. Yeah, that was something, sorry, that I had trouble with in, in, in the second half here was a lot of the moments I liked seemed like truncated or like cut off and they didn't quite have the space around them that I felt like would make a good clip or like they didn't have an emotional resolution in the way that I was usually expecting. So I don't know. They were like a moment, but it was like maybe half a line that I liked about it. So yeah, Yeah. it, it was interesting. I kept noticing it as I was trying to find ways to make a clip. It felt like to me like it was a lot that they almost prioritized all of these like intense action sequences mm-hmm. and like going through corridors and on adventures and on location over like creating the moments of space. Although I will say that this half feels like it has more space and more emotional conversations. Like we just yeah. listened to the two with Aaron and Pilot that there is at least that moment they take for John to kind of reflect on stuff with Stark. Yeah. I feel like they're kind of scattered throughout a little bit, but um, it does kind of vacillate a lot between the, the much more actiony stuff and these like pause moments. I do want to shout out the parallel blocking to the water planet crash on IET. I see you, Brian Henson. I believe he yeah. directed both of those. Um, I, I will just right up next to that shout out, um, shout down that they do forget just about everything they learned about how Moya, um, does water yeah. and, and planets in that episode. Like literally the worst thing that we were literally in the second episode told that could happen is that she would get like caught in muck and water and water pressure. And like, it was very dangerous and bad. And here she's just like, Oh, I just need an under the water rest for a while. And then I'll be fine. Like I'll be able to fly out by myself. Yeah. Right. Blast off from this planet with absolutely no problem. Even though I'm like an old Leviathan instead of a youthful Leviathan now. (laughs) 
I don't think three years really makes three or four years really makes much of a difference to Moya. <laughs> well, sure. I mean, it was more that like she was not as young when we did it the first time as she right. should have been. I thought. <laughs> um, yeah, they really, really, really gave us that rule quickly, and then never thought about it again. No. <laughs> about like Moya can't get too close to planets and playing with gravity and get touching down is not possible and then they seem to do it so frequently in the later so seasons frequently. especially it's like okay um cool anyway yeah i do like that they have john and aaron kind of smash into the same space and the same way i was just gonna say we got some old school bashing and old crashing school bashing and crashing oh remember when they used to throw themselves at each other constantly but passive aggressively <laughs> yes such good times Oh, there is a there is a quick conversation I, I thought I should play um, where Chian and Dargo sort of follow up on these conversations about Hyneria. So let's just uh, listen to just one of the very earliest indications that Dargo might be a goner. Hey, Dargo, you know how I, uh, I change my mind about things sometimes? And I get, I get so excited and uh, I say I'm going to do it and I really... Really mean it, and, th- and then I, I changed my mind completely. Yes. I near you. I'm gonna do it. With you. Uh, you know why? Because you like Hynerians. Not so much. But I like you. Such a classic Dargo joke uh, to say you like Hynerians. Like, A-plus Dargo material yes. right there. That's that's very cute. I genuinely like that a lot. Um, I'm a little more sort of muddled about the way Chiana starts this conversation with this, like, you know how I get, like, really excited about something and I change my mind completely? That's a fair interpretation of Chiana. I don't have a problem with that line it's that it does not apply in any way shape or form to this conversation or decision because they talked about it so briefly and Uh she did have she had almost no reaction so for her to introduce this that way is just very strange and i don't understand it i feel like it almost makes sense to me but that i might be doing the thing where i personally relate to something and or i'm willing to bend (laughs) over backwards to make an interpretation that makes sense but I feel like maybe she was referring to her her enthusiasm for not going to Hyneria originally. And what she's saying is that I'm reneging on my my enthusiastic refusal of Hyneria. Do you mean her initial, like, way back in season yes. two? Okay. I do. Because it wasn't Hyneria necessarily that they were going to go to. But whatever. It, it doesn't matter. Whatever that, like, settling down life is. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. I think it could be that, or it could just be, you know, someone struggling to communicate that they understand that they're inconsistent sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, again, I think it is a good line for Chiana as a character to have, but it is a little sort of like... Because if she's referring to something that happened two years ago and that's not explicit, it's like, Uh wait, what? Who? (laughs) Yeah. Um, She also, like, doesn't look at him for this entire conversation, which is an interesting choice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, again, I'm like, oh, sometimes sometimes eye contact is too intense. 
I understand that. I, I feel that. I feel that deeply. Um, I also think that it could have been that she's saying, I know I have this tendency and the thing that's implied but not said out loud is like, I'm, I'm acknowledging that tendency because I want to be clear that I'm not doing that here. Mm. I agree. It's a little, she's not the clearest, but. Yeah. I mean, I like, they seem to understand each other, in. so yeah, it's yeah, whatever. Yeah. But as far as, like, that particular choice of set of things to say that the writers were deciding to do is a little right. bit like, wait, what exactly is going on here? Yeah. Um, I can't figure clearer. out what they're trying to tell me, which is a different problem than I can't figure out what Chiana is trying to tell me. That's fair. Chiana is, as as real as she feels, she is fictional. <laughs> Um, so there's, there's this conversation that we then see between Aaron and Pilot where they talk to each other about John and his plan. And it's interesting because Aaron is sort of John's moral permission and Pilot is the practical guy, but then Aaron and Pilot have to talk to each other. And I think that's worth mentioning because they don't really have any kind of a confrontational conversation i didn't happen to clip it but it it is interesting because aaron's kind of doing this like well john thinks it's the right thing to do and and makes it clear that she will support him if he does because i guess she's made Mm -hmm. her peace with it already um but i I just think it's it's worth mentioning um that that they do kind of consult each other because i I don't know. I don't really know that it's a huge conversation as far as like making any decisions are concerned. Although it is what Pilot cites later is the thing that changed his mind. And I think it's an interesting just addition into this place where we always go where Aaron is like the linchpin. She's the one that everybody is going to trust and turn to and, and feel like her decisions are the, are the ones that they have to look to. Yeah. But I also kind of appreciate that the show is doing something good here in that it's having John, the main character, the man, talk to two people he wants to talk to. But then it's also giving us the scene of them talking to each other. Yeah. And it is about him. But it's also, I think, a necessary way to complete the triangle. Because otherwise it's too... It, it doesn't acknowledge that these characters have a life outside of him. And relationships outside of him. Yeah. Um I think the thing that is is just nicest to me is that they gave Aaron and Pilot a last scene together to yeah. have a meaningful conversation because mm-hmm. um, their relationship has been so important throughout the series. So right. like it feels it feels right to me that that got some representation. Yeah, and I think it was given a lot of short shrift in the fourth season. Yes. I remember being routinely very annoyed that they like yes. didn't seem to remember that those two have like a really strong and good relationship and to go back to the beginning of of this scene is is this moment where aaron's kind of sitting there with pilot which already says something right that she wants to be spending time with him um and she's working on some guns i guess and Mm -hmm. the beginning of that scene is literally the only good pregnancy scene in the whole thing and i really do love it and i want to play it Can you hear that? That's just the sound of a DRD. And that is the sound of our ship Moya under pressure. And this is the sound of an AKR, maximum load ammo pack, 
That's very good. I think they, yeah, they go a little bit weird with some of this, this stuff with Aaron, I think, especially during the labor scene, but I think this hits it just right. That, like, a very normal thing to do is, mm-hmm. is, is to sort of talk to your baby and, like, tell it about the world outside of it and, like, Aaron just going through the things that make sense for her to talk about of, like, yeah. That's a DRD. This is our home. Here's what a gun sounds <laughs> like. That it's funny, but it also like I believe it from Aaron. I like yeah. it from Aaron. It gives me a, a weird and unique insight into what her relationship with this pregnancy is like. That I like. Like it's something she's doing on her own. It's not related to John. It's just there. It just is just this nice moment, and yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate you appreciating it, and I also appreciate it. Okay. Appreciate. Cool. Um, oh, I have another note that, that kind of comes off this Aaron and Pilot conversation that I'm sure you'll have some stuff to talk about. And maybe this is better deployed later, but I did have my initial note about it here. So might as well talk about it now, at, at least to start, um, which is that watching this has really been making me think a lot about how peace is treated as a concept politically and generally used to justify all all just all kinds of behavior in its pursuit and those were this war and peace dichotomy becomes very binary and very important in this episode uh-huh. and that language really wasn't around as much like they were talking about peace and war in the first part of the miniseries but it is it is really kind of here but I mean, I think it had something to do with Aaron saying something about like, well, if this brings peace or if this facilitates peace and it's like, well, okay, what, what does that mean? You what know, is peace, right? Yeah. Who's, who's peace? Yeah. I, I think the more real complications and implications of that come, come clear, but they've really started to double down on that language. There's also this part where Dargo almost dies, but doesn't die and has his like jokey, I, did you see a vision? No, I saw my face getting all busted up kind of thing. Um, so we get one Dargo fake-out death. Well, that that also is the second Dargo fake-out death of the miniseries. Oh, right, because yeah. Because he already had a fake-out death, right, so this I is forgot. now the second time, <laughs> right. So, as we will see and see, the third time is the charm. I also just had to give a shout-out to the um, blocking of John cradling Stark in the water. <laughs> Like, just pressing his whole face up against Stark's head. Like, yeah. they didn't need to be that close to be in the shot together. I don't know if it was that Ben thought the shot was tighter than it was or what, but it's kind of funny. You know, maybe Ben was trying to express the guilt that John felt. He just wanted to be a little bit tender with his friend for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> tender with his friender. Tender with his friender. All right, so they bubble up out of the uh out of the sea <laughs> and i'm 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 going to call this uh section the temple um section um which is quite long uh so i think there will be a lot of notes about it but the rundown of what happens here is that the moyans and their luxem pals arrive at the same dock from the beginning uh which is uh, where dargo convenient. like yeah convenient you know reuse your sets that's fine yeah yeah, yeah. um to find that the Scarens are mostly in control, Eidolons are mostly slaughtered, and the Peacekeepers are isolated and few. They go to find Bracca, 
who has some Eidolons with him. Uh, the team splits up. Jothi and a couple of Luxons go one way, the Moyans go another. Uh, while they're walking, they come across Grunschlik, who they decide to bring along and also decide is the spy. They arrive at the temple and get reported to from Bracca. Stark sets up with Muoma, who is the um, Eidolon woman, Cassandra Gore. Uh, while everything is quiet, Aaron then goes into labor. They have to wait until dawn for Pilot to be ready to come get them. Again, there's, like, no real information about that. Also, also, like, it was light when they bubbled up, and then instantly it was dark. Yeah, I, I don't know how the days work. So, Stark does transfer the knowledge to Sandy Gore successfully. Um, they also locate 100 surviving Eidolons who are with Naranti. During Aaron's labor, they discover the baby is breech, and the Diagnosin, who is supposed to help, uh, is killed as Scarens arrive and a firefight ensues. Uh, she is conscript- conscripted to be a midwife, and they, depl- they defend the place successfully, fighting off the Scarens. Um, Scorpius takes Sakozu somewhere to fuck her and then rip something out of her body like, I always knew you were a spy. Uh, Aaron gets in the pool, baby gets born, they shoot their way out, emboldened by the baby, I guess. <laughs> because that's like that really is exactly how Mm -hmm. it goes yeah it's like now that we have the baby we can definitely just shoot our way out in a way we didn't before but that's the end we have a lot to talk to before we get to that part i guess although we don't have to go in order at all um but that is is our podcast (laughs) bunch 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 of crunch of notes um i will say the city is very artfully destroyed I think um, it is kind of cool that we saw it looking good and then to come back and see it looking junked is is cool. Grunschlik, when they find him being like, look at my wound, I'm shot. And then Scorby is being like, it's from a Scarin weapon. And then Shiana just under her breath, like, so what? We use that trick all the time. It's great. I don't think I caught that. Oh, yeah, so no. Chiana for... just being like, we do, what? that's not, it could, still could be a trick. Right. Um, which Grunch, like, has shot himself before to make it seem like he was has under attack. Shot. Yeah, so. Yeah. A fair uh, estimation that he might still be the spy. And they are trying so hard to make him look like the spy, where he's like, I'm not a spy, and then immediately cut to Akna being like, my spy is with Crichton now. Yes. <laughs> Uh, which is kind of funny. Also, here, here's here's Sweet Bracca again, Soul Patch and all. I think he looks like a slightly beaten up club gay. Like, yes, like he yes. has a soul yes. patch and he tank top with the open jacket and vaguely sweaty wild eyedness to him. Uh-huh. Like I feel like he should be chewing gum really hard, like just nodding at you. Like maybe he's rolling a little bit. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. We got guns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you hear the music? Do you hear the music? Because I definitely still hear the music. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just trying not to, like, literally scream into the microphone because that's all I want to do. Because I also was just looking at Brackett going, like, his aesthetic is, like, so gay in this episode. That it he just, really like, is. And he's, like, really, like, he's extra wiry. And it's, like, we see his biceps mm-hmm. for the first time. I think is really what it is, is that we just see that, like, underneath all that Peacekeeper uniform, there's a body. <laughs> oh, Bracca. Oh, Bracca. Oh, sweet, sweet, wild-eyed Bracca. I love him. 
This is also where my note is about like Aaron gets pregnant and half an hour later goes into labor and then is in labor for 20 minutes. <laughs> and that's how the episode wants to treat things is an hour and a half of her not being pregnant. Well, a season of her being pregnant, but not really an hour and a half of the pregnancy happening outside of her body. 30 minutes of her being pregnant and then 20 minutes of labor and then baby. <laughs> like, wow. Zos. Wow. I'll leave that yeah. there for everyone to read as they want to. <laughs> um, speaking of Aaron and the labor. Um, oh, Aaron. God, this is a big thing to maybe talk about, which is I genuinely cannot decide if all of her quips about labor and giving birth are things I like or not. I know lots of people do like them, and I think a supercut of them would have been unkind, but I I did sort of keep track of all of them. I don't know that me saying them all in a row would be more kind than a supercut, but they keep giving her these, like, buttony jokes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where she's like, I've killed men for less, shooting makes me feel better... You get it's in the fountain, you're fired, great, I'll cut it out, it's for your clothes, oh right, uh, you know, the slapping Stark stuff, all, uh -huh. all, she, every time they go to her and she's experiencing anything, it always ends with her being funny in some way. Yeah. I find it pretty irritating. Mm. Um, cause it feels, it feels to me like that's drawing upon a particular vein of earth humor. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, is, the like, the like, wild out of control, you know, breaking well, her husband's hand mm -hmm. wife who's just like freaking out in the delivery room. Right. Like all of which I think Very only trippy. serves the social purpose of undermining like sort of the significance of what the activity of labor and delivery actually oh. are. Mm. And um, sort of demean the experiences that people have during that period of their lives. Um, it's yeah and there's this line that kind of is there about like if it were a sebation child it wouldn't have been a problem but because mm -hmm. it's not fully pure sebation erin even goes back to like a weird eugenicist for a second where she's like yeah. if it were a pure-blooded sebation baby it would be out by now which is like an allegation i have questions about sure um <laughs> There is one joke that's here that almost, if you blink, you miss it, but it's absolutely a very good joke. And if they just had this one, I, I think I would overall be okay with it. And we're, I'm going to make everyone listen to it because I like it so much. I need you. I'm here, baby. I'm here. I need you to my weapon. <laughs> that's good. The reason that that's good is because John is the butt of the joke. Yeah. Yeah, because it it plays on us thinking that Aaron is getting desperate or or anxious, and it happens so fast and like under uh -huh. her breath almost. And John being like, "I'm here, baby. Whatever you need, I need you to reload my gun." Like, it's good, good stuff. But That's they keep good. making that same joke fifty times, and it's yeah. like, okay, like I understand Aaron as a character. I understand her having one or two of those appropriate and funny. No problem. But having her, like, poutingly be like, shooting makes me feel better is like, wait, what? Who? Is it what? What's going on? <laughs> oh, you're going to make that joke again 12 seconds later. And then again a little bit later. And then again. Okay. Like, uh -huh. and the whole thing that this all culminates, I, I, we're not quite there yet, but in her, like, giving birth and then being fine <laughs> is is also a part of it. 
Yes. Yeah. So, whatever. Let's move off the quips unless you have any notes because I could talk I, about them for a while and I don't think that's the best use for time. No, I don't. I don't. We can move off of the quips. We okay. can um, talk a little bit about the obstetric science if you would. We like. can. We can. We can keep going on to that. I do have um, some thoughts. Yes. <laughs> I just I I kind of like that the baby is breached and they have to do the external cephalic version is what that's called when you kind of push on the uterus to move the baby mm-hmm. around. Um, that's like the only legit thing that happens in this entire pregnancy, and <laughs> so I respect it for that reason. And I also I just I love Chiana as the midwife. I actually think we should listen to a little bit of that right now. We weigh our numbers. Yeah, well, our numbers are about to grow by one. Can you help, Aaron? What? I can't birth a gnarl. I don't want a gnarl. I hate gnarls. I'm still a gnarl myself. You help Moya give birth. I blew out a wall in three tears. I concur. The baby's head is up. It has to be down. Don't make any structural changes. I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah. A lot of, lot of good business in that clip. Um, Chiana's like escalation. Uh-huh. About like ch- her relationship to children is amazing, uh-huh. um, and the compare. John tries to make the weakest ass comparison to be like, "You helped give," t-. and she's like, "I blew out three tears." Like, right? It's not comparable. And Aaron just also being like, "I don't know." And the way the two women like look at each other when this is done, like, uh-huh. "Well, we're both still here, and that's weird." <laughs> like it's. <laughs> I feel, again, I feel bad Aaron and Chiana's, like, ladies' night is a birth situation exclusively. Right. Um, also, Chiana be demanding the Razlak at the end, and then Aaron sort of grabbing for it, and then Chiana being like, nope, that's for me, mama, not you, mama. <laughs> so good. So good. Just, just the speed, the speed of the labor and delivery always, and then at the end, you know, the the person gives birth to like a six month old baby. Yeah, well, only so much you can do about that. <laughs> There's only so much you can do about that. Yeah, but but the thing you can do about is complain, which yeah. I am. So now I've done that, and we can move on. Yeah, fair. Um, I do, I do really like uh, Hughie's Burns grunge, like just yelling things in the background. What the hell's he saying? The baby's turned round in a bad way, tangled in the cord, and the translation is extra! <laughs> I don't know why. I just really wanted to get that clip in somewhere because he's so angry. <laughs> I like that. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Related to the birch breed, er, yeah. breech birth. Breach birth. I got it. I got I I know about uteruses. English? Um, <laughs> I, I do want to put a note in here that I think we get a very good send off for Naranti, who is bravely leading a hundred scared people to safety with an unloaded weapon. Oh my and, god, and she's she amazing. really saves the day here. If you think about it, yeah, like if she didn't do this, if she didn't come through, they'd be really fucked, and she did. Also, you should note that they do shoot this in very heavy shadow because that is not Melissa. But I did want to play the clip and just our clip parade of of the wonderful little bit of business they give her to do in the last we see of her. Jazzy, pick up the phone. Hello, Crichton. Naranti, what the hell are you doing? Rescuing Eidolons. What are you doing? Where's Jazzy? Gone on reconnaissance with his men. Their comms are off. 
Well, what's the situation there? Any idol on that isn't already dead appears to be hiding with us. Upwards of 100, I'd say. I'm in charge, Crichton. Jothy has made me an honorary commander. Tell me he didn't give you a gun. Most certainly. But pulse packs are in short supply, so it's not loaded. <laughs> I love her just, like, helpfulness and, like, I'm in charge. I'm doing a good job. And she is. She saves she them all. She is. She's so good. Naranti. I feel like that's kind of her MO is that like Naranti is one of those people who's just like good in a crisis. And, yeah. you know, we came to meet her sort of in the middle of a crisis in the aftermath. And that's where we leave her. I just I like that they instead of choosing to give her some absolute nonsense batshit thing to do at the end, they gave her this sort of like nice send off of like. Right. She did really helpful. Thing. Yeah, she got to be funny in a good way for her to be funny and helpful. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. <laughs> so this this scene is, or this sequence, because it's definitely more than a scene, because it lasts for a while. So long. There's something I want to say about it structurally, which is that they make this choice to have John more or less be involved in or often the center of all the conversations that are happening and basically directing the actions for all of them too. And it kind of makes everything in the temple, this weird carousel of spinning plates, you know, where it's just like you follow John from station to station and he keeps like doing a rotation and it just, it makes it feel, I don't know. It's weird. Like I understand it from like the reality of that situation, but from like an entertaining television watching thing, it's a little bit, what's going on yeah especially in these these segments where everything's a little quieter and he's kind of walking from place to place like oh hey what's what's the update on the eidolons what's the update on aaron's pregnancy what's the update on the scarens what's the update you know yeah it's sort of it also to me it sort of feels like you know like at one point this was like an ensemble show where it wasn't all about john all the time and you could like have a conversation without john in it yeah and I, I, i wonder if that could happen here yeah. I mean, I, I get them wanting him to be involved in the Aaron stuff. That makes a lot of sense. Right. Um, and I know that the Eidolon plan is kind of his plan. But, like, you know, we could just have a scene of Stark talking to Mooma. We could just have a scene of, like, Dargo and Scorpius talking about the tactics. Mm-hmm. John could, for the most part, just stay with Aaron and nobody would be like, John, where are you? What? Are you, why aren't you with us? You know? Right. But... He's the hero. He's the show guy. So I guess he's got to do it. <laughs> he's the main white guy. Yep. Can't have him not everywhere all the time. <laughs> um, so as we said, the Scarens do make a, a run and there's a lot of firefighting that goes on, uh, but they do repel um, those forces. Um, did you notice this sort of weird moment, though, where Lyrko, the Luxon captain, um, who kind of dies... And as he's dying, he's like, say hello to that cleaver for me, meaning Jothy. Uh And I'm like, was he in love with Jothy? Is that what they're trying to tell us? Oh, my God. I mostly read it as, like, that was a thing that he wanted to show his respect for his commanding officer and was, like, mostly given to Dargo to have, like, a Dargo proud dad moment yeah, of, like, look I, how successful yeah. and good Jothy grew up. I'm sure that was it, but at the same time, it was, like... Gay. It was. It's gay. It's very gay in your dying gay. moments to be, like, 
Oh yeah, that man that I served with in the in the army place. I didn't look at his butt ever, but definitely, definitely tell him my dying words were to say hi to him. Like, <laughs> right? Like also like say hi. Yeah, and not even his name, but like that 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 officer. I definitely never learned his name. Um, you should do it for me. Uh-huh. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> that's my queer canon for this mini series thank you so much yeah. um thank you <laughs> oh god i guess we should talk about the sakozu business and spy deals that we kind of touched on a little bit er- earlier um i have more questions about this than i think we might be able to get through <laughs> okay uh quickly but um some of them are like what was Scorpius getting out of this relationship? Um, exactly. Like, it's very unclear what letting her hang around with him was worth if he knew she was giving information up about them. And what on Earth, on Earth and all the other planets in all of the uncharted territories and tormented space and beyond is this business about Sakozu believing the Scarens were gonna free her people if she spied on Scorpius? That doesn't sound like my girl. Yeah, no, she's not that naive. No, and also, wasn't she a robot? Yeah, that's the other thing that gets totally just, like, lost in this, is it's it's almost she- not clear if she was a robot, and, like, she talked... We never learn anything more about the Kalish Resistance, and I assume that's one of the great lost season five plots, maybe. Right. And, like, if... I, I'm not averse to this move being made but if they were gonna make it you needed to like have a build-up you needed to feel whatever temptation or decision-making process Sakozu went through to get to i will betray you guys and i believe that that's the right thing for me to do yeah this this just kind of feels like um like in the cartoons when they run off the cliff and then realize there's no ground underneath them. Yeah, there's no, there's nothing behind this. There's no, it's just, oh, hey, Sakozu's there and she hates the Scarens, but definitely would work with them on the idea that an entire race of people who are in subjugation, that that would be enough to secure their freedom. <laughs> like, right. she's met Scarens. You know, she knows that that's not a good deal. A lot. Yeah. If she had more personal stakes, maybe I could understand it. Or, like, if she were trying to protect something about the underground or uh-huh. whatever. Yeah. If it was only one scaring agent that knew the thing and was like, do this for me or I'll tell about this other thing. Like, I get that. Hey, oh, hey, yeah, absolutely freedom for millions of people for you to, like, tell us where Scorpius is and John is. I don't think that's true. I don't true. think that's true. And I don't think she would think that's true. The question that I have is just, like, why would Scorpius be like, Sokozu, I have something for you. Please join me in this alcove yes. only 10 feet away from everyone. It's my dick. Yeah, that's another um, part of it that I feel confused by. And her sort of reaction to that of, like, kneeling on the floor and being like, it's unconventional. But, yeah, shooting people makes me horny, too. What? And what? and we get this nice the, – the best thing, though, is that we get this little reaction from Bracca where, like, he sees it going down and, like, rolls his eyes but also conveys jealousy. <laughs> I may have missed that part, but um, I believe I'm, you. I believe you I 100%. may be reading the jealousy in, but I think it's there. Um, yeah. I, I don't know 
how much we want to go into any of these particular questions. Like, do you have any idea what Scorpius thought he was exchanging for? Because he, he makes it clear, like, oh, I've known for some time, but you were useful to me. And it's like, how? Other than your dick. Like, and I don't think Scorpius is the sort of person who would make a dick decision. I would hope not, but you never know. I just, and that's not even what he's saying. You know, he's like, you yeah, I mean, to me. I mean, I think probably feeding misinformation, you know, like if he fed her misinformation. Right. But like, you would think then that he wouldn't take her with him to go visit John Crichton. Like, but it's also, he didn't have to feed her misinformation if she was just with him the whole time and she could report on where she herself was. Right, 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 <laughs> right, right. That's really true. I mean, I'm sure he could have had some dumb plan, but it's like there's nothing in the show to indicate that. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't have any. I don't have any answers, and the no. more I try to think of them, the more unhappy I become. Yeah, this um, is definitely I, the end of Sokozu getting thrown under the bus. Is that like she was there to be some like sex poodle at Scorpius who didn't understand self-esteem, and then she was a spy suddenly and appallingly like poorly explainedly and then scorpius has this moment of like i knew you were a faithless woman let me rip this shit out of your head and then put you i don't even know what he does there's some like it's not shown what he is it's some kind of nope you know gps or something that was in it like there's no explanation and then he just like leaves her chained up in the adjacent room and it's not clear there's that scene later that's like what the fuck where grunge like is crawling in and finds her and then nothing, and then the planet's destroyed. And it's like, okay, um, what happened? Is that okay? Right. We're just done? Cool? So, yeah. Poor Sokozu. Yeah. Deserves so much better. Yeah. You know, honestly, going into the fourth season, I remember being like, I really like Sokozu, but they did something weird at the end. And, like, I was confused. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm so looking forward to getting more clarity on that. And, like, the clarity that I've gotten is, like, the writers fucked up or her story was just one that they were willing to not flesh out as much mm-hmm. um it got truncated because they didn't have the time but they did a good job flattening her in the meantime um right but i was like but but the the thing that is important to take away is that i'm not i'm not incorrect for being confused right no not at all um side that note was nice in this scene very important side note is that I'm pretty sure Scorpius's closing line to her is you have ruined something unique, but my subtitles, which I've already um, called out for being terrible under that line said, you have blown something unique, which yeah, I'm sure she has pro- probably. <laughs> oh goodness me. Um, yeah, and then he leaves, and Brack is like, where's Sokozu? And he's like, she's on her final mission. And it's like, what? And that's just it. That's just done. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, nobody has any questions about what happened to Sokozu for the rest of the episode. It's like, she never existed after that. Speaking of Brack reacting to things, though, I do love him reacting with extreme awkwardness to the whole Aaron babying process. Oh, my Him just, God. like, gathering the guns and then not knowing where to look is... Mm, choice delicious yeah just horrified horrified <laughs> disgusted but like he couldn't look away he's like i've made the right choice with homosexuality for sure <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so the labor is intensifying 
and um, Stark is called to marry them. And I will say that as just what the fuck as it is about Aaron being committed to this idea, uh, Ben's choice to just yell very loud to repeat everything Aaron wants and is saying is good. <laughs> yes. I love a good panicky yell agreement. <laughs> and Stark's eventual ceremony is pretty good. It is nice. Um, and in fact, I have it clipped here. Okay, okay. You two love each other. Yes! Enough to be married forever. Yes! Then you are. Congratulations. It's good. Yeah, that's actually really romantic. Like, that's the heart of it, guys. If you've got uh-huh. that, you don't really need anything else. I'm, I am attracted to that idea, and I think that it's nicely conveyed there. Yeah, I think that that little bit of business was probably pretty formative for me in mm-hmm. my thinking about relationships as I've moved forward in my life. To just be like, okay, like that's that's what's at the heart of it. Yeah. It's just commitment. It's it's once you've got the meaning, you can forget the words. It doesn't matter if you have a ceremony and a whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just is the is this where you're at? Is this what you want to do? Then that's all you need. Good job, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a little, I hate almost everything leading up to that with Aaron just slapping Stark into different ceremonies and then everyone kind of corally being like, no, that's the wrong one. Yeah, that was a goofy, yeah. a goofy segue into that. And then of course, Aaron, like lethal weapon foring, like we have to be married before I give birth to the baby is just like, what? what? I don't, Okay. Yeah, that definitely seems like an Aaron character beat. No problem. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If they had made the choice at the end of that, if everything was the same with Aaron being like, we gotta get married and then start marrying them. And then John had said thank you to her instead of Aaron saying thank you to him, I would have gotten it. I would have been like, she was trying to do that for him. Yeah. And and she knew how important it was. And she wanted to do it for him quickly before... And yeah. I would have been like, ah, good job, a little bit. But this, where she's like, thank you, is just like, wh- why? <laughs> what are you thanking him for? For for being very bad at helping you give birth? <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's just hugging her. He's just, she's like, be helpful. And he's like, hugging her. Mildly helpful, maybe in the water birth, which is a thing I am forever haunted by. Sorry. <laughs> um. <laughs> I have a very uh, strong sense memory of watching that when I was, you know, 19 in college. Like, the way that they just go underwater and the, like, it almost looks like baking soda. It's really, it's so visceral and, like, why? I didn't need that. And, like, the fact that presumably John, like, cut her bodysuit open and then does she, is she just, like, open to the world for the rest of the firefight and escape i think she is i think she's just presumably like free bleeding because that's like the other they don't do the placenta yeah they don't do any of it they're just like okay and let's run and like you're gonna be bleeding for like several hours after that happens yeah they definitely i mean it it is not uncommon for birth and and that kind of thing to be very sanitized on television and I guess the idea is like the water birth cleans it all up, or but no, she would just be no because <laughs> bleeding everywhere for a yeah, significant well, amount of time. 
The thing about giving birth is that the placenta is like a whole separate organ that's attached to the uterus and it's all interfacing. And so like all of that surface area detaches and like it just takes a while for all of that to scab over. Yeah. It's going to bleed. Yeah. You're definitely not really in a position to like run. 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 And also be carrying the baby. I don't know. It's it's a lot that they demand of her to be 100% fine with after. But we're not quite there yet. She's just giving birth in a pool. (laughs) I thought of like Chiana has this line about like it'll be safer and cleaner for the baby. Uh-huh. It's like not necessarily true, and definitely not necessarily true when John like throws a chariot into it. <laughs> like it's got chariot juice all in it now, guys. Ew. You know they don't wash. Yeah. No, nothing. Nothing in in any of that arena is nothing. Nothing is clean there. No. <laughs> nothing. There's no cleanliness to be had. No. Um, but probably easier to, like, get away with filming if it's, like, underwater mm-hmm. or whatever. You mm-hmm. don't have to. <laughs> anyway. Um, I have to mention that in this sequence, Rigel gets knocked out. And then um, I think John just throws, it's like, stick him in a bag, we'll carry him. And I'm like, I love uh-huh. you, Farscape. <laughs> like, yeah. I love that that's just how they dealt with that. So the baby exists. It is out of Aaron now. It's uh-huh. It's... It's a son, and they're very pleased. And um, after a moment of being pleased about that, Aaron has this line, can you do me a favor? Can you get us out of here? Okay. Sure. Sure. Why not at this point? And then again, they all get hyped up on baby energy and just suddenly are completely able to blast their way out and escape. And Aaron is fine. Yeah. And firing and running and holding the baby, like... What do you? This, what is the wave of feminism? Is this? <laughs> Women can have children and careers that involve shooting people minutes after they're they've given birth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it, she looks like so cool and beautiful and heroic. Yeah. And it was, like, great to watch 10 years ago and pretty awful to watch now. Yeah. Did not enjoy. Reading people's reactions to it, a lot of them were very excited about that portrayal and, like, yeah, she can do everything. But it's like, oh, God, she shouldn't have to do all this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. good for her. But, like, man, that's, oof. She should, like, lie down and sleep. Yeah. She should be the one they stick in a bag and carry out of there. Yeah. So... Then we move on to Eidolon Planet Evacuation uh, after they have baby energied their way out of the, the <laughs> temple. Um, Akna is still on their tail as they run away, and Moya is maximuming out of the sea, I believe. Uh, the Moyans, PKs, and Eidolons are ambushed on a street and pinned down. Uh, but then Jothi days ex machinas and lays down some fire so they can get through. But there are still lurking Scarens and Charids. Dargo gets run the hell through saving Chiana. Uh, Akna shows up to point a gun at John's head when Aaron, with one blast from her pulse pistol, kills her. And then Dargo does a good long death and the rest make it to the rendezvous point while Dee defends them in a blaze of glory. Meanwhile, they jump into a giant antenna net, basically eyeballing it and, and do not die. Mm-hmm. Um... My first note is, what is this scene with Grunchlick and Sakozu? But I think we already covered that. I don't... Okay. 
Mm-hmm. I can't really hear what is said or even who says it, but my subtitles captioned it as fool. And like that only muddies the waters. So, okay. Sakozu does like to call people that. It's true, but I, yeah, I don't like what, what? <laughs> I did not, I did not follow any of it. Yeah. I did I, not I understand. Know. Um, I will say that as they are making their way through the streets, uh, my favorite line of the whole miniseries does pop up. How's your honeymoon? Well, the brochure was better. I think it's my favorite line in large part because of um, the way Ben uses his body when he says that, which is he's kind of bobbing and weaving along the street, just like, well, uh-huh. the brochure was better. And it's just, <laughs> it's so good. And I could listen to it. If GIFs had audio, I could watch it forever on a loop and I would be so happy. <laughs> I will say also that the line Aaron has, now you cry after the firefight is over. Mm-hmm. Not bad. I'm not mad at that one. That, that one's kind of funny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of fine. Yeah, so there's this big big fight, and uh, of course Jothy arrives to like rub it in, and Dargo's like, "I'm very proud of you, my son, who I love and have made up with for sleeping with my girlfriend. Uh, Everything uh, is all fixed forever. Uh, we'll see you in five minutes." And then Ascarin puts all sorts of um, metal into his body in a bad uh-huh. bad way. Uh-huh. I love that Aaron is the one to realize that Dargo is not good. And the little almost scared shake of his head he does when she asks if he can make it. That shit is perfect and very them. And I love it. Like, absolutely 100% right. For her to, like, be direct with him and that they have the kind of relationship where he's basically, she's basically the only person he's going to be straight with. Like, right off the bat. Like, he wouldn't have shook his head like that at anybody else. No. And I just, I've always been a big fan of the Aaron Dargo friendship. And I think that that is a really nice way to end it in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. Because it says almost everything you need to know about them is like that they have this way of communicating with each other and this way of like cutting through a lot of bullshit in their, in their relationship. And, and the final exchange between them is, is cutting through one of the hardest things to cut through the bullshit about. And I appreciate it. And the fact that he shows that fear and that, like, anxiety, too, when yeah. he does it is good. Because it's not even, like, a stoic, no, I'm not going to make it. you got to take the ball to the touchdown. He's just like, I don't I don't think I can do this. It's really, I think, I think Dargo is the one person they really do right by in a lot of ways. Yeah. I feel he, like this is a good send-off for him yeah it's it's not bad i definitely had tear in my eye the second time i was watching it i think it's 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 quite long this ends with really long scenes and i think that was challenging to me the first time i was watching i was also in a mood that was not quite the right mood for it and i just was like all this baby birth stuff and all this temple and the fighting and more fighting and then dargo dies forever and then it just keeps going. Um, mm-hmm. But the second time around, when I was sort of trying to, like, actually look at it and actually kind of connect with it, I was like, oh, this is this is hard. Especially when you know that it's, like, the end of the series and everyone knew it was the end of the series. And, like, that adding a little extra mustard on the ball. Uh-huh. I mean, I just remember absolutely losing it. Mm. Like, like, losing it. And I think that I cried... The first time I watched it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I cried just straight through to the end. 
that I think as soon as as soon as we had the glance between Dargo and Aaron, I just was mm. I was a goner. <laughs> I'm very mad Rigel doesn't get to say goodbye to Dargo. That's really rude. Like Stark goes to try and be like take away yeah. your pain and D- Rigel like pops out for a second but doesn't uh-huh. say anything and I'm like, "Come on." Uh-huh. They're part of the original prisoner team. Right. Like Zan's dead. They're the original two. Make make some stupid quip about Dargo's possession. Yeah. Make you know, some. Rigel's always really good when somebody's dying. He always makes right. some good observation or comment, and it's like he barely registers it. Mm-hmm. I don't think he mentions it in the rest of the episode. And it's just like, come on. Yeah. I think the moment he gets with John is really good. I feel bad. I didn't really clip. I clipped the moment with John mostly, and I didn't clip stuff with Chiana just because it's a lot of like more emotive, less audio stuff where she's, yeah. they're kind of saying the same words at each other. And it's sort of the, the, the gestalt of, of the moment mm-hmm. that really makes those good. I think, I think Gigi is giving a good performance, like this, this anger. Yeah. Her stages of grief start almost immediately and she's doing this denial anger mixture. Yeah. Um, just like yelling at him, like, hurry up. Come on. We got to go. And just like failing to to deal with it properly and i do mm-hmm. want to give her props i think she does a good job and i think he does a good job but the the bit i clipped was the john and dargo bro death it's gonna get ugly here soon you better get going you're the closest friend i have you could have done better nowhere in the universe got a lot of life to lead john The the callback of like that joke has happened a few times and it's it's uh-huh. nicely called back here about like I I don't want to talk to you right now I want to talk to my girlfriend. Um, yeah. It reminds me very much of the joke at the end of Look at the Princess uh, two where he's like you know you're about to be turned into a statue and he's like okay what's the good news and he's like I'm having really good sex with you <laughs> like, yeah it's it's that joke again that sort of unexpected like. I gotcha. Gotcha, Johnny. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and the way Ben reacts to it, too, is really, really good. That, like, choking laughter that immediately turns into, like, his whole face contorting in sadness. And the way he yeah. kind of pulls back and stands, like, yeah. Ben does really good faces in this. Um, oh, my God. It made me so sad. Yeah. Gigi's doing a good job freaking out and acting mm-hmm. like Chiana would act and just, yeah. nope, 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 not happening. Um, And then, Yeah. John basically having to pull her off of him and, mm-hmm. and make their way. How do you remember, like, if you, if Dargo dying here was a surprise, or did you like see it coming? I don't think I saw it coming in the sense of knowing that Dargo would die. Mm-hmm. I was not particularly surprised to see a main character death happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but like, yes, it was. 
it was a surprise to me. I did not particularly see it coming. It was extremely devastating. Um, yeah, I unfortunately don't remember, but I feel like it is a little bit telegraphed in that there's all this stuff about, you know, he's going to get everything he wants and Jothy's there and they make good and I'm proud of you, son. And then don't get shot up too much. Like there's a lot of uh-huh. little lanterns hung along it on the way. Um, yeah. Which yeah. I, I don't, I can't remember if I took his like hints the first time I watched it, but I think I think Dargo does get a pretty decent send off for himself. The fact that he goes out shouting, "Who's your daddy?" You know, which is so good. That's an Anthony way to go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oof, God, Moya, Pilot, John, Aaron, and Rigel are the only people who've been there since the beginning. Oh, just yeah. So they get to this rendezvous point. I, why didn't they go get the transport pod? Did they, did they just assume it was lost? I forgot there was a transport pod. Because they took so the transport pod too. up to the... Well, I guess they took it to, like, the dock. Could it not fly after they made it watertight? Or I guess. I don't know. Yeah, somebody should have stayed to get them in a transport pod instead of them having to jump into a net that they literally have to eyeball and jump into. It's wild. It was bad. Um, I will say though that Rigel volunteering to hold the baby is good and I like it very much. Yes. That that just like listen this is the safer thing I don't have to jump I don't have to fall I can just hover and be safe and the baby will be alright and it's yes. like good on you mama Rigel good on you indeed um, but everyone does not break anything apparently in this like free fall that they do everyone's fine. Yeah the fact that they're all like in a group too like there's a high probability that they would have knocked into each other really badly you know Uh uh-huh uh-huh like somebody should have landed on somebody else's femur yeah Yeah, something like that but they um this ragtag group gets back on moya for the gut bomb finale um and the things that happen here is that Moya zooms through the battle without getting blasted once everyone's safely aboard uh they try to rendezvous with jothy uh, and the rest of the Eidolons, but cannot. John gets to command to find Pilot because of Aaron had all the DRDs build a wormhole machine for him. A thing it seems like he has clearly forgotten about at that point in the story. Um, he's full of a lot more complicated feelings about this than he was an hour ago. Uh-huh. Uh, the Moya is caught in the crossfire. Chiana basically advocates for mass murder. And then John does the dang thing. The blue machine glows and a starburst kind of happens and then there's a little pip into the sky and then what can only be described as sheer terror for about 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when that is all the negotiations happen and are done, uh, John collapses. We get a montage of the treaty signing with Eidolons, John Nakoma, um, Stark leaves, Jothi and Shanna mourn, Harvey dies, Aaron does some talking to John in a coma, leaves the baby with him, he wakes up, and then an undetermined amount of time later, they take the baby to the terrace to name him. I know that was a very, like, that seems like, I feel bad giving, like, a plot summary of what happens here, because it's like, that's not really what it's about, but uh-huh. those are technically the way the rest of it ends. So, when... John goes on to command and sees the thing and, like, has this moment of, like, oh, fuck, it's here. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It is here. And Aaron says, I thought this is what you wanted. And he says, at the time, not now, not ever really. 
And then she says, pilot, can we run? It's a really interesting exchange, and I do want to talk about it. Yeah. Because like I said earlier, I was a little bit annoyed at the at the sort of castle doctrine. I need a gun big enough to protect my family. And then the sort of heat of that having cooled and John getting into a more thoughtful phase, which is always yeah. the John I appreciate more. Um, and kind of admitting to himself and to Aaron, you know, this this might not be the thing. This might not be the way. And then her just hearing that and immediately being like, is running an option. Yeah. And it's not, so they can't, but it's, what do you think? I agree. I think, um, John was probably really expecting that pilot, you know, pilot, John heard pilots know as a no. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and I think was surprised to find that it had not been a no after all. But I also think that like when you are in the state of not having the thing and knowing that you need to at least have the option, you have to kind of present yourself sometimes as more certain than you really mm -hmm, are. Yeah. And so it's nice to see John drop the false certainty like kind of immediately as soon as he's confronted with it. Right. Um, I also just think the design of it itself is so striking mm. um, and that there's something – you know, I think there's something in John's reaction that is also just, like, the experience of having an idea and seeing it come to life can be really overwhelming. Hmm. Um, so I think that there's some of that in there. Hmm. But I agree about the thoughtful John, and I'm glad that he's the one that we have for the last 20 minutes. Yeah. I think if it were just him striding into that machine, I would not. Oh, feel no. I would feel a completely different way. Yeah, there's so much talk, too, about, like, what people want and, like, the consequences of that want in in, in this sequence. Um, and it's interesting that it starts with Aaron being like, I thought this is what you wanted, um, yeah. which is an echo of what they had been talking about earlier. And it is interesting that Pilot does make this decision to, to, to do it. We don't get a lot of insight into that process, which is which is okay. I'm not mm -hmm. I'm not like demanding that or needing that to to understand it but you know i i think you're right about this is not what john was expecting to happen and, and being confronted with it so immediately is is interesting because pilot apparently didn't ever tell him that that was going on no yeah so no you know that's probably also like a smart tactical decision not to broadcast over your communication <laughs> yeah, channels probably. that may or may not be secure that you're building the weapon that you said you can't build a fair point so, um, oh, I want to shout out another good exchange here, which is um, Chiana freaking out and saying, Dargo's dead. Do you think I care what I do to you? And Rydell just being like, yes. I love that. I love that. And I also really love Pilot taking that beat yeah. to react and being mm -hmm. like, ha, Dargo's dead. Yeah. That was good mm -hmm. and sad. Mm -hmm. So Scorpius is like very interested in everything that's going on and um john and aaron talk about wormhole weapons um and what they're worse than and she lists some stuff you know is it worse than this is it worse than that and he doesn't respond but he does go to do the dang thing as i uh -huh. mentioned before and um, when he does you get that second conversation from the flash forwards in the first part where he's basically making scorpius beg him um, with a cherry on top. <laughs> and then I guess we're going to talk about how this wormhole goes for a little bit. 
Um, I, I want to start by saying I really think that this sequence is masterful at escalation. Yeah. It's about 10 minutes long. And they make all these really good choices of where to cut and keep music. And I think that really helps all of it. And I just, I really almost wanted to clip the whole thing. Um, but I didn't because that would be ridiculous. Um, mm-hmm. And as a result, I don't have any clips from this segment because I think it is such a whole thing. And I really couldn't find a lot of parts inside of it that made sense by themselves or really illustrated all the parts of it I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. So I think if it's been a minute since you've seen this and you want to kind of look at it, go look at the whole thing. It, it, feel, it felt weird to butcher parts of it out um, to me, but not useful to, p- to put the whole thing in here. <laughs> um because a lot of it is visual, too. A lot of it is these silences and looking at people's reactions. They do an amazing job of making it really genuinely scary and horrifying. And the other point that I have is I think that it achieves something really a little bit wild. In that it truly might be the most important scene, if not one of the most important scenes, of the whole series in a lot of ways. And I think to do that in the last 20 minutes of the miniseries you didn't think you were going to make that came a year and a half after the series ended is an achievement. I think this whole sequence is a huge achievement. Um, This, I think, is where I would like to play the clip and do my science yell. I assume you're going to yell about science in context? I am. Have fun. Monica Monica yells yells about about science. science. This whole sequence really runs down all the things that I'm yelling about science. If you listen back to the body of the podcast through the years, it like this is really all about it. Because what you see in that exchange where Aaron says, you know, like, is it worse than our son dying? Is it worse than this? Is it worse than that? Because it illustrates how much John's decision making process is influenced by Aaron and the criteria that Aaron is using to make decisions and that. You know, the the other thing that is happening is that we're hearing about a wormhole weapon, but we're not hearing anything about the science behind it. And, you know, to some extent, it's still it's still an experiment. It's still not a wormhole weapon. It's still an experiment. Um, and, you know, I think it's really interesting that he's not using a wormhole to destroy a target. He's doing something novel with the energy of wormholes. That as it grows and expands, eventually becomes a weapon, becomes this like agent of pure destruction that disrupts everything around it with equal violence, including Moya, which I think is really important. Um, and that John is making his decisions about his experimental weapon based on his own individual material interests and the advice and interest of the people in his life around him. Um, and I think it just it really illustrates everything that I've been thinking and saying about how science always exists in this personal context and it comes from a person and and the things that we look for are informed by our own experiences. And so it's important not to treat it like it's the separate thing, like science is this thing that exists outside the context of society because we we all have to have a sense of ownership and a sense of being able to push back when we think it's going in the wrong direction. So the the other thing is also just that John 
is being a politician here in addition to being a scientist. Um, I think it's really interesting that he makes Scorpius beg for it just so that once it is happening, he can say, hey, remember 10 minutes ago when you literally begged me for this? Fuck you. And like, that is great. I also want to highlight this design feature in the weapon itself where there's like the head cage that comes down because it seems like one of the more important functions that it's serving is to keep John from looking away from what he's doing. And I just thought that was really interesting. Hmm. Um, so I think, I think that's it as far as science and context for this particular part of the episode, because I'm a damn scientist. Yeah, this is, this is a big one for, for a lot of the things that have been, leading up to this you know we've been hearing about a lot about this for a long time and um i think the choice the show makes to confront you with it Uh and then let you kind of sit in it and then sit with everyone's reactions to it for the length of time that they do uh is really good and really sort of of like you guys have been talking about these wormhole weapons for so long What what are we gonna see and you do see them and they are genuinely awful. And this is something that John has said. Like he, he starts this conversation when this John really knows what it's about. He says to Aaron, mm-hmm. it's ugly and it's malignant and I'm going to do it. And that's interesting too, because we know that Aaron and Rigel have seen the wormhole weapons and Stark as well. Yeah. Um, or, or I guess a sort of modified different version of these. I don't, none, none of, no one has seen this exactly happen. Right. Um, but I guess we should clarify that it is this, this exponentially expanding ring of fire that grows to eat two entire fleets of ships and a planet in about 10 Mm -hmm. minutes, um, and is never going to not be hungry for more and is going to very easily just gobble up everything in its path. And Moya and the two main ships of the campaign are the only ones left. Um, and there's a lot that happens in the sequence. Um, and I don't know that we need to go through all the beats of it, but mm-hmm. they do make the choice to cut to Greza and to cut to Stalik and then back to Moya and see how their reactions and decisions change. Cause they want to ignore it at first. They think they still have control of the situation and then they, they kind of lose it. And I think what you said about John being a politician is really interesting because he actually ends up kind of doing what Scorpius advocated initially uh in the first part of the miniseries right like he is a basically a one-man army putting the scarens and pks under his wormhole boot heel and that's yes. how the detente happens is that he comes in with the biggest gun and it's it's peace achieved through conflict um yes. which is really interesting because that was what he was not about initially but the biggest conflict is the utter destruction of everything. It's almost, you know, a nihilistic sort of anti-conflict in a way, but it's still there. <laughs> it's still a destruction that they're running from rather than a peace they're running to. Yes. And yes. Um, I do really like the line that John has that feels a little bit David Kemper back pockety, but I, I think it's very well used here where he says wormhole weapons don't make peace. They don't even make war. Like, the fact that this force is bigger than a war. It is 
more yeah. indiscriminate than a war. It does not care. Mm. Uh, it will kill those it, who deployed it as soon as it kills those it's deployed against. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like that point very much. Um, I also think there's this really interesting sequence in here where he starts yelling at everyone about how they asked for it. Uh-huh. Um, and how this was the thing they wanted for peace. And and he keeps talking, putting peace into this of like, this is yeah. how you get the peace. And I think that goes back to my point that I was making earlier about like, how this is an atrocious and awful thing that gets done in the name of peace. And, mm-hmm. and that the show is aware of that. Um, I also think it's actually kind of remarkable that Wayne makes this little choice to still kind of be delighted by the sheer power of the wormhole. Like when you go to look at him, he's kind of like into it. Like he says, this is insane, but he's almost happy about it. Like yeah. it, it's, it's this weird thing of like, it is truly awesome to him. It inspires mm-hmm. awe. It exceeds awe. his expectations. I don't think he like wants to use it, but he's also kind of proud of John in a weird way. I think he's proud of John. I think he's proud of himself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, I think from Scorpius's perspective, he has engineered this cross army conflict to go exactly mm-hmm. as he wanted it to go. Yeah. Which is I mean, really horrifying if you stop to think about I it. I think it's just Scorpius kind of confronting the fact of like, I didn't anticipate this. I didn't anticipate yeah. it to be like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's sort of just detachedly marveling at his at at the fact that he kind of failed to do the one thing he's best at, which is to truly, you know, he doesn't play dice with the universe, and this is the biggest fucking pair of fire dice you could throw yes. out in the world, you know. <laughs> um, and and so yeah, Scorpius, the most controlled, four steps ahead of everyone else person on the show, looking at something that is beyond unpredictable and voracious. And just kind of being like, whoops, I I was wrong about that one, I guess. <laughs> but wow, that sure is a thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I just, I just, it's a really amazing sequence. And I really feel it every time I watch it. Yeah, I think they do a really good job with the scope and the scale and the se- the graphics. I mean, mm-hmm. like... Mm-hmm. 2003 right like this looks incredible yeah. for it i think looks... we were clowning a little bit on the graphics in the first part but maybe they were saving all their money for this because it looks wildly good it yeah it really like it it i don't think it could look better if it were done today maybe maybe it could but like it holds up yeah. over time which is nice it's nice when that happens mm-hmm. yeah i just it, it is just I, I think the last thing i thought about it was like this really does feel I think so often with like these later made, not planned, truncated, different animal reboots or or, or extensions that you get mm-hmm. a lot. Um, and this is an early example of it happening, but it definitely has happened in other places. I think those often can feel inessential or extraneous, even like reboots for full series of a TV show. Um, and I'm not going to argue that the entirety of the Peacekeeper Wars is worth your time, but I think that this sequence, nothing else could be the true end of what Farscape is in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Like, before they get to this point, it almost feels incomplete. And for that to yeah. be achieved, I think, as as well it is, as it is, and to be this 
escalation you're not prepared for and then you it completely wraps around you and wrecks you is is great and and a real testament to as much as we have been kind of poking fun at them for flattening some things out and for making some missteps with how they were doing stuff i think i think this which is one of the things that has always been in the heart of the show and has definitely been central in the last you know few seasons of mm-hmm. what is the growing peacekeeper obsession with wormholes and then the scarens introduces this conflict and the whole tension between those two parties about wormholes and then both of them starting to seek john for that knowledge and all this pursuit of this thing seems mm-hmm. inevitable that it would end this way and for us to get it and 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 be shock and awe about it is is interesting <laughs> yeah and to get it and to to really to see how thoughtfully done it was. Mm, yeah. It was nice. Yeah. And that's, I think, most of what I have to say about the actual escalation and in, in the wormhole sequence. Um, the the two parties, Peacekeepers and, and Scarens, agree to peace. Um, Grey's a first, thinking of her mm-hmm. child. <laughs> yes. And then Stalik. And um, then John does something and... Uh, Einstein appears to take the knowledge out of his mind. The wormhole closes, leaving only the three ships there, and then he collapses on the floor. And Aaron freaks out uh, in in some silence, which is a lot. It's not bad, it's just a lot that's happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is the end of wormhole weapons. What do you think about that undoing of the weapon? I mean, in some ways I don't think they had another choice than to put an undo button on it you know i mean it's not like it reverses anything the destruction it caused is still done tens of thousands of people if not millions died um because the planet got ate up the only other option was for them to somehow get away which was already presented as an impossibility so yeah just I was I was thinking about your comments of how the show protects John from the consequences of his own choices. I don't know sometimes. that this is that. That would be if somebody else did the wormhole weapon. If there was just like a button and you didn't have to have a brain to do it. Okay. And like okay. Scorpius pressed the button and John didn't actually have to. Yeah. This is the. I mean, John doesn't get absolved of this. No. I mean, the show kind of forgets that he did this pretty quickly, but there's so little show left that whatever. I think it would be an interesting plot line if this show continued about, like, what John's place in the world is after this. Yeah. Because <laughs> nobody love... involved in the piece looks happy about it when it happens. You know what I mean? No. Yeah. They look very like, well, this is literally the only choice we have. We have guns to our head now. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> I think if there was an undo button, I think that would be, you know, a different thing. But it is just a stop. I don't think there's much other choice than there to be a stop yeah. button. Yeah. As far as the show narrative is concerned. Mm-hmm. So moving on, we then have Stark coming to John saying he has found his peace and taking his mask off um, and then leaving. And I do like that he kind of puts his hand on Aaron's shoulder and she accepts that because she's sitting vigil. Yeah. Which is sort of, it seems like they were leaving a lot of stuff kind of <laughs> uncertain if they ended up doing more that they had this like... I don't know, leaving a few loose ends. Yeah. There's also that bit with Chiana and Jothi, uh, kind of having a talk about Dargo and, and 
Chiana gives him the blade, but that's about it. That's that's yeah. the last we see of them. Uh, no more Rigel. <laughs> uh, there's the 2001 uh, uh, Space Odyssey homage with Harvey dying. Um, and very fascinatingly saying you'll have to make all your decisions on your own now. Which yeah. I like. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And John is silent through all of this, but but Harvey gets a nice little send-off. And then we have this final little bit where Aaron is at John's bedside. And I have this clipped, this entire thing clipped. It's a little long, but because I didn't clip anything in the very long sequence before, I'll, I'll just go with it. You did it, John. There's no more dying. You know, it's strange. It almost took me losing this little one to fully understand motherhood. And I love it. And all of a sudden, three is not such a scary number. So many things happen there. Yeah. Tell me about some of them. So the first thing that happens is that Aaron does like a weird performative motherhood thing. Yep. Which is just like, I don't know if some of that was because they're trying to get this shot of like her putting the baby down next to him. But like it just everything looks so uncomfortable and like she seems so stiff and there's like the kiss that she puts on the baby yeah which just like feels like she's showing off for john but john's not even watching (laughs) um and then aaron puts the baby down with john and like i've been watching a lot of cute animal videos lately 
Um, and there's this channel on social media called The Dodo, and it puts out all of these, like, videos about, like, unlikely animal friendships. And I feel like John is just in this vid- in this. He's like, it's like a video about, like, this grumpy old dog nursed these kittens back to life and now everybody's happy. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's like, it feels like it feels like a scene from one of those. Um, and then John puts some toxic, toxic masculinity on the baby um, by saying Crichtons don't cry, which is also just, like, the biggest lie. John cries constantly. And he, the fact that he, he, he didn't cry enough qualify. in the fourth season, he does by saying very often or for very long. But still. Still toxic. Still. Um, so that those are those are the things that happen in this scene. Mm-hmm. Um, d- did I miss anything? No, I just I was just curious how you felt about it. Um, I think there was something I noticed was that there's this scene where Aaron's like sitting on the side of the bed and kind of reaches to stroke the baby, and she has the um, ring on her finger, and you can see it really. And it's just like, when did Aaron become this person with like? wearing the diamond ring and like touching her baby with their man it's just like okay this is just really they just is she on earth i don't even know anymore (laughs) like exactly uh this would be too normative a story for me if they were on earth and they were both human and regular like (laughs) you know (laughs) and they're not and so it should be i don't know i i don't i i feel bad being annoyed at it but the end of this miniseries is so focused on, like, them having achieved this love and baby and marriage. And, like, they become almost isolated when that happens. Yeah, that, like, why, like, is really nobody else on the ship to come to Little D's new Yeah, let's, let's move to that, where they go, um, and the very final scene is that Aaron and John go to the terrace, which we haven't seen since Exodus from Genesis, which is because it was so expensive to shoot, and they saved all their little monies mm-hmm. to make it this. And I think that's a nice idea, to take the baby out there, to have this very sweet naming ceremony kind of a thing. Um, there's some elements of that I like. But the second you're like, why isn't the rest of everyone with them? Like, even on Earth, it's a tradition to invite your friends and family. And, like, if the family and your friends that are right there is the son and girlfriend of the person you're naming the baby after, like, bring them along. Like, why aren't they there? (laughs) Perhaps. Yeah. I just, it's, it's, yeah. What are you, what, why are they doing that alone? I don't, yeah, I don't want it to be, I just, maybe it's because I've changed my taste for more ensemble stuff in the last few years, and I, I, but it really does sort of seem to separate all the characters at the end in a way that doesn't seem poignant or interesting because it's not like we're all saying a series of goodbyes to each other in the mm-hmm. way they did in, like, um, Dog with Two Bones, but in this one, it's like, oh, we're all together, but we're all going to lead separate lives because we've got different stuff going on, <laughs> like... Yeah, yeah it, it's strange. I really don't understand why not everyone is there for like why isn't Pilot on the clamshell? Like, hooray! Uh huh. Uh huh. My little nephew. It, you know. I. Yeah, I think your your use of the word normative. Normative is also the word that I have in my notes, um, which is that I like you know I like this more in two thousand eight than I did in twenty eighteen. 
Um, there are parts of it, there are things about it that are very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, right? Like, I think the speech that they give is beautiful. Yeah. I think that visually it is pretty. I think it is very lovely that they named the baby after Dargo. Yeah. Um, but it really is about, like, celebrating, like, oh, you did the heterosexuality. You did um, it, you did it the most. <laughs> you look, look, look at you, family photo. Yeah. Um, and, um. and it's, it's, yeah, it's normative for a show that has historically not been normative and it's a it's a it's it's a tonal shift um unlike the ones Farscape is known and loved for. Yeah. I just I, I even think of the exact same thing that happened on the terrace at least, but there was just their friends standing on the periphery. And maybe, like, Chiana nudges Rigel to pay attention or whatever, you know. Yes. Like, you didn't even need to give them dialogue. Just have them be physically present. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I, I just... I don't know. I, I... I, It's weird to say that the best send-off the show gets is the, like, horror that it does ten minutes before this. But everything after that is almost exclusively focused on, like, John and Aaron getting what they want well everyone else is kind of in shattered and like broken and unhappy um i am hesitant to end a discussion on a bummer note but i i i other than i i think it's sweet they named the baby dargo yeah and i i I like i I like the baby now more that that it's there you know what i mean i didn't like pregnancy uh but maybe it's because i'm a little bit older i'm like not super mad once the baby exists and i think a lot of their like motivations make more sense if it's like a real kid that you can see because we all understand responsibilities of like keeping a child safe and happy and healthy and good like those make more sense to me than like i'll turn the world upside down for this fertilized egg in you baby (laughs) like Mm -hmm. i don't know overall i feel like the peacekeeper wars does accomplish some really great things Mm. just not just not this best way (laughs) right just not the just not all the best things and like it it is you know in a way weirdly gratifying and relieving to me to have this conversation with you and address the weirdness as opposed to just watching it and being like this felt you know and Mm. when i watched this the first time it felt weird but i didn't really understand why and i was like i could tell from the music cues that i'm supposed to be enjoying this and from, you know, my own desires to see John and Aaron, like, get together, I know that I should be enjoying this, but, like, it still feels weird and I don't understand why. So to be able to unpack that is really, you know, good for me. Yeah. Again, I don't want to take away anyone's enjoyment of this. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that no one should enjoy it. Just right. the way I have been watching it, the things that I have been enjoying about it, this is, I mean, it's not the worst way things could end, but it's it's a little bit... Ah, yes, you finally landed on the spot it felt like you were trying to actively avoid for a while, you know? You didn't keep bending away from it, and so you landed on it. And that's fine. That's some people's cup of tea, but it's not especially mine. And, oh, well, I guess, yeah, go go live your straight happy lives with your little baby. (laughs) Have fun. Your little Dargo child. Dargo is a bad name for a baby, but it is a sweet gesture. Well, I like that he got a nickname immediately. Yeah, Lil D. They were like, "This this baby's name is Dargo, but we're calling him Lil D until his until his entire life." <laughs> Lil D is a bad nickname to grow into. 
<laughs> yeah. Don't want that to stick not. around too long. Nope, nope, nope. I hear it. I hear it now. I hear it now. Mm. Yikes. Um, well, I, if we're done with that, um, I have some hot takes. Yes. Number one, uh, Bracca, Captain Expendable will be the last man in the universe. That is all. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> he really did survive until the end. He really made it. He we really also never it. know what happens to Scorpius. Scorpius just apparently like leave. You know what I mean? Like there's Yeah. They spend so much time like focusing on these last two big scenes with John and Aaron that like everyone gets like twelve seconds to wrap up and it's like that's mm-hmm. not what I wanted from the show. <laughs> um everyone was very happy about the terrace. Um somebody said in the end, Jothy looked more like Rigel than Jothy up close. <laughs> like to recognize him that's true um people still thinking that like Graza was confirming when she was like for the sake of our children that it was john's baby or something i don't even know um people were really into the air and giving birth stuff uh the scariest and funniest thing on the show (laughs) um Everyone also did a big old damn you, Claudia, at Aaron's reaction to John collapsing after stopping the wormhole. And we're generally pretty pleased about the baby and all that business. Um, like, there's no, holy crap, did they push Stark all the way through insanity and out the other side? <laughs> um, finally, an entire season's worth of angst in four hours, which, when concerning Farscape, is a lot of angst. <laughs> yeah. She's like, yep, that's, that's a good summary. I appreciate it. It's a better summary than the one I gave at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> All right. Well, we are, again, not doing a snip snip. And I think we'll ally to readings, too. I think we just are going to do a little bit more talking. Sorry, I know it's been a long episode. But just I want to give us at least a couple minutes to talk about how do you feel about Farscape overall? <laughs> And I'll start with a quote from our friend Alistair. Oh, Alistair. Who, in his uh, writing about this episode, said something I think is is nice, um, which is, no one, sorry, no one perfected the art of being in the wrong place at the wrong time, quite like John Crichton, yet he proved again and again that he was the right person to be there. I like that. I'm gonna cry. (laughs) Um... Yeah, I I mean, we've dedicated so much time to talking about this series overall, and I think it would be impossible not to extrapolate how we feel about it from the accumulated experience of listening to it. But I did have a thought that I sort of wanted to close with that really just occurred to me, like, this morning, basically. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Which um, I can start with if you want to get your thoughts together still. Um, I love Farscape the way Aaron soon loves John Crichton. I kind of hate myself for it. It kind of ruined my life, but I'm going to keep coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Nailed it. Um, I love it. I'm going to be with it forever. But goddamn, does it piss me off sometimes. You know, there was something you said closer to the top of the episode about progression, or maybe it was even before we started, about just like, wanting to go back to the beginning and see the change over the seasons. Mm. And that to me, I think is the thing that stands out the most is that there is such a range of change that occurs over the series. And that to me is what makes it so exciting and so special. 
Mm. Um, is is knowing that I can I can go hang out with John Crichton, but that whichever episode I pick, I'm going to be hanging out with like a slightly different John Crichton. Mm. Um, and and it you know like I said, it felt really it feels really good to sort of figure out the things that were bothering me about the show and kind of you know articulate them. And I feel like getting it out actually helps me to enjoy it more. Mm. Yeah. Um, I I think I'm going to see if I can get my roommate. To watch. <laughs> Good luck. You know where Thank the pitfalls you. are now. <laughs> Very well. I sure do. <laughs> I sure do. Yeah, I I doing the podcast and thinking critically and working really hard. I mean, for a little peek behind the curtain for my life anyway, this was easily 10 to 15 hours of my week I put into producing this the whole yeah. time we did things. And that was sometimes challenging. And, um, but I really wanted to be thorough. I really wanted to watch everything closely and be careful about it and thoughtful about it and read what other people had to say and really get a lot of the context around stuff because it mattered to me. It mattered to represent it well, that it wasn't just my opinion I was putting into it. It was, you know, a more holistic kind of approach to analyzing it. And I'm, I'm really glad to have looked at it this closely. And, um, I think that I was scared at times that it would make me like the show less or make me realize some deep, dumb, dark thing about it. Um, but I think, like you said, a lot of the airing out of my, frustrations with it help to kind of cleanse me of those frustrations or at least put them where they belong rather than kind of just feel this sort of vague weirdness about it um, when I encountered it. And I, I, I weirdly after spending this much time uh, doing it, I'm kind of looking forward to the next time I want to pick up the series and, and watch it again. And I think that's a compliment for the show. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, a show that deserves many compliments, but I think unless you have anything else to say, that's kind of... No, that's a beautiful note to end on, Aaron. The end of the Frollcast. I'm not ready. <laughs> well, uh, to that end, I think it's worth putting a note in here. Um, we have been asked by a few people if we have any plans to move on to any other projects or continue the podcast with other focus, um, fo foci. Um, focuses. I don't know. Um, and we haven't talked that much about that. I think at bare minimum, we are going to be taking a bit of time off because if you didn't hear me just a minute ago say this was <laughs> a huge hobby, uh, that I was committing time to every week of my life. And, um, I love doing it, but I need a minute <laughs> and anything we my, I mean, we, we are open to doing something in the future, um, but there would definitely be a break. Um, we will definitely let you know if we have plans to do something else, look at another TV series. We've toyed with a couple ideas. We've heard a few suggestions. I will say one of the problems with that, just to be honest with our audience, is that a lot of suggestions or recommendations we've received from um, people have been for other sci-fi series. And that is not a genre I particularly like. Um, and a lot of the series, the shows I've been recommended, I just feel scared that I would pour haterade all over them. And that wouldn't be very enjoyable to listen to. Um, they're, 
it's yeah <laughs> a danger of that and i don't want to sit around complaining all the time um because that's not fun for me to do it's not fun to to be a part of I also feel like it would be hard to move on to sci-fi because we've done the best sci-fi show. There's no better sci-fi show. <laughs> Just constantly right? being so like, well, like, anything else would Forrest, be a downgrade. Farscape did this and they did that and, and Farscape did it better. Um, it would be, yeah, a challenge for me. Um, so I'm not saying like sci-fi is bad. I'm just saying that <laughs> I have watched several other series and am routinely just like, okay, I don't have thoughts goodbye um but that's a long explanation to just say that, that that there are some things we have talked about very recently and are under consideration and um we will let you know if we do do that um but we want to thank you so much for listening for all of this because it's still pretty wild to me that people do and we've been getting nice messages on twitter of, of people saying that they're sad that it's ending and i'm sorry there isn't more farscape i can only talk for two hours so many times about the show that has a limited number of episodes um but it, it really means a lot to us to to hear back when we put the mm-hmm. put the words into the void um, and we've really enjoyed doing it. And thank you uh, to all the people who not only listened, but were, were guests on our show and who supported us and were, you know, giving us tips in the coffee jar and et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say on an administrative note um, that we will be keeping the episodes up at SoundCloud for the time being. Um, they may migrate depending on if there's a better sort of permanent home for them. Um, but we will give you a wide and clear notice if that happens and it's not happening anytime in the very near future. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I feel bad leaving things on a little bit of a open-ended note, but, but nothing has really been decided, no. um, other than this is the end of the, the Frelcast talking about Farscape. Do you have yeah. any other thoughts, Monica, before we give the final socials? I, yeah, my only thoughts are that I plan to be around on Twitter at Frelcast Show. Yeah. And on email at Frelcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Come say hi. <laughs> and if you'd like to tip us $3 to help with hosting fees, we are at coffee.com slash Frelcast. That is ko com slash Frelcast. Yes. And you can continue to listen to us at Google Play, Amazon etc or wait google play itunes no. that's the one mm-hmm. um yeah I, I go look at the stats sometimes and i'm always constantly surprised that new people are starting to listen so it's that's funny <laughs> um but uh, thank you monica for doing this podcast with me i'm glad i bullied you into thank it. you aaron <laughs> thank you thank you aaron for suggesting that we do this you're welcome <laughs> giving giving it your heart and your soul <laughs> little bit of blood too a lot of sweat um tears i've cried <laughs> yeah you had <laughs> enough tears for the both of us i think anyway um with that we have been the farscape friends and the Frelcast, and we'll be seeing you soon partner bye bye